Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would and credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durban Marshall credit card bill. This podcast is a part of the Podmania Podcasting Network. Check out podmania.co.uk to check out more of our great podcasts, features, reviews, match ratings and previews spanning the crazy and diverse world of professional wrestling. Weekly audio source of all things world wondering stardom, right here on the Pod Mania Podcasting Network. I am your host, Rob Goodwin, and I am joined by Matt Turner. Matt Turner, what a weekend we have just witnessed. No kidding, my friend. This was absolutely fantastic. Uh, I'm sore. I am excited. Uh, I'm excited to talk about this. I know me and you were talking back and forth during the weekend and i know i talked to you for quite a bit yesterday and uh and i know this is all fresh in our minds i'm super excited to talk about these two back-to-back barn burner of shows and uh like almost pretty much record-setting shows i know when i was texting you yesterday i uh we both pretty much discovered that the stardom shows outdrew the new japan cup shows which to me just blows my mind considering the fact that one of the main events for new japan was okada and naito and they've wrestled each other three times at the tokyo dome so you know, the last two uh, were two main events. So between those two matches, they probably drew like, I don't know, 70,000 people, give or take. So the fact that these two stardom shows outdrew an Okada Naito match just absolutely blows my mind. Absolutely. And not only that, but they also um, outdrew the final um, at the Edian Arena, which obviously, for those who don't know, uh, was main evented by Zack Sabre Jr. versus Tetsuya Naito in an absolutely outstanding match if you haven't seen that go and check that out but yeah it's been a huge week for stardom um it's been a huge weekend for stardom running back-to-back sumo hall shows and it's a weekend where both me and you matt have got five-star matches but for different 
matches. So it's going to be interesting to see where we differ and what we agree on as we go ahead. But I think one thing we can agree on is both shows were phenomenally impressive, weren't they? Yeah, absolutely. Completely worth uh, worth your money. I know I had a lot of people that are waiting for it to go on Stardom World so they can save themselves some money. I know me and you were like, nope, Stardom deserves our money. Uh, they were de- definitely worth every penny and some from these two shows. And actually, as we record this, March 31st, uh, both shows are up on Stardom World. So with less than a week's time. So, hey, good on them. Good on them. Um, hopefully they can app out soon because I know that was something that was talked about in my circle of friends that they're just wanting to see maybe them merge with the new Japan world app or something, but that's a, another story for another time. I'm super excited to uh, dive into these two fantastic shows, sir. Well, a little bit of build then before we dive into these shows on the 26th and the 27th of March, a little bit of build, um, something we didn't get to talk about on the podcast because it simply wasn't up in a timely manner for us to record. Um, there was, of course, two smaller shows that happened in the build up on the 20th and the 21st. A couple of important things, of course, happened with uh, Tekla the SWA World Women's Champion, defended her belt against Oedetai's Ruwaka at the Nagoya International Conference Centre on March 21st, defeating her in 10 minutes and 58 seconds. No challenger came out at the end of the match, which means, of course, that at the moment, uh, Tekla is without a challenger. Um, is there anything you want to say about that match, Matt, or shall we just delve straight into the Ali uh, the Ali Kaba Memorial match? <laughs> Believe it or not, that is the only match I did not get a chance to see. I got all the way up until that match, and then I think I took a break for dinner, and then I just was watching something else. So that was <laughs> I tried. I tried to be up to date and do my homework, and I literally maximized every single minute <laughs> I have awake. And uh, that I did not see that match, but I did uh, see the uh, ALK versus Saya versus Mayo Iwatani match, which was absolutely fantastic. And I'm sure you probably will not disagree with me on that one, sir. No, it was an outstanding match. Of course, probably the other thing that people are talking about in the build to World Climax was, of course, um, the Alto Lavella Kabalawan um, sort of split. They had one final match against Mayu Iwatani and the returning Saida on March 21st in Nagoya. It was a really, really entertaining match, as you've come to expect from Ali Kaba. Um, obviously, post-match, um, they said that there will be a split. This was confirmed at the press conference. But after the match itself, Suri, of course, mentioned the fact that they will be she'll be going to night one of World Climax with a bodyguard, which, of course, we will be talking about on this first show. And that, of course, brings us to Stardom World Climax 2022, night one the best from Saturday, March 26th, 2022 from Sumo Hall in front of a reported attendance of 2,712 people. First thing I just wanted to say is it was reported a day or so before the show that Sonny Gutierrez will be joining Stuart Fulton on English commentary for both shows. Unfortunately, due to a personal circumstance, Sonny wasn't on the second show, but how do you think the English commentary team did, Matt? I think they were fantastic. I went back and watched uh, night two, um, and I thought uh, that was good as well. Um, I'm probably going to go back and watch it sometime on the Japanese commentary, but Sonny always does a great job. He does a great job you know, with, with his notes, not only on Stardom, but uh, Pro Wrestling Noah as well. 
I don't remember uh, Sonny, uh, I'm sorry, Stuart Fullerton did a really good job, as he always does, uh, always has very well prepared with his notes and gives a lot of inside knowledge. I don't remember Sonny ever doing commentary on the show before. Has he ever done, or is it just me getting hit in the head so many times no, that I have forgot? No, he's done a couple. He did, um, oh, he did, did he do the first Yokohama Budokan show last year? I think he did. I think the first show with English commentary, and again, someone might well correct me, was the 4th of April Yokohama Budokan show that was main evented by DDM versus DDM for the tag belts. Um, And, or was it Tokyo Dream Cinderella? It was one of those two shows anyway, April or May last year. Um, and then obviously Stuart's been doing it with, you know, Mina Shirakawa's done some bits. Um, Wakasukiyama's done some bits. Obviously, she was back from um, match five onwards on night two. Um, I know Sonny gets a bit of a bad rap, which is uh, which is unfortunate. I know he was, you know, quite evidently nervous, as anyone would be um, the first time he did English commentary. But I thought he did a pretty good job here, uh, filling in the gaps and doing a little bit of work on the background of Stardom. Obviously, Stuart Fulton didn't know. I thought Stuart was great as ever. And again, night two, he he did solo comms for a lot of night two, which is never, ever easy. And it's always nice to have English commentary anyway. So I think they both did a tremendous job. Match one, then, we opened the show with the future of Stardom Championship match. The champion, Hannon, defeating Rena with the backdrop driver in seven minutes and five seconds. Um, I thought Rena did a fantastic job in this match, Matt. Yeah, we talk about during, uh, like, the quote-unquote road to show, just how much better these two are getting and how when they were doing the, you know, six and eight person tag matches between stars and uh Wado Tai that they would, you know, always tease some stuff or I think even twice building up to it, uh Rena Pinhana. But uh, I thought this was really, really good. They're constantly getting better. They were able to showcase their, you know, their stuff without a Momo or Starlight Kid or a Mayu. So it's just them, you know, opening up the show, you know, really both shows. Kind of the first match people are seeing. Uh, seven minutes in, they started out with some really, really stiff forms. I thought the two of them looked really good. You can tell that the two of them are sisters because just like with your friends, you can kind of hit them a little bit harder and kind of apologize mm-hmm. later. I thought it was a good story that Arena hit the hit her gory bomb where she's pinned uh, Hannah twice, you know, on these uh, multi-person tag matches. And uh, this time Hannah was able to kick out. Eventually she hits the two backdrop drivers for the win. Uh, this was a solid, solid opener. A uh, really good way to, you know, set the pace for these shows. I had this at three and a quarter stars. I've got the exact same rating. I thought both women did tremendously well. Again, it's worth knowing that Hannon is seventeen and Rena's fifteen. Um, I thought, I thought it was good. The Sonny mentioned how tensions have been running high in the sisters' household, according to their mother. I thought that was quite funny. Um, yeah, you, you do forget that they still live together. Um, but yeah, I thought Rena did some good work. Um, I thought Hannon did well on Rena's leg. Obviously, all the stuff with the Pink Devil, uh, which is obviously the name of um, Rena's gory bomb. I thought all that was great. There was some remarkably smooth transitions as well. And ultimately, it was the result that we all thought was going to come. But I thought it was a very, very solid opening. Um, you know, just over seven minutes. I thoroughly enjoyed it. I also gave it three and a quarter stars. Hannon retains to go on tonight to, to face DDM's May Sakurai. Just before we kick into match two, then, it was advertised that Stardom's 
pay-per-view in May is going to be called the Stardom Flashing Champions 2022, running on the 28th of May, once again at Ota Ward City Gymnasium, making it the second time in a month that they will have run the venue because, of course, the Cinderella Tournament final um, on the 29th of April will be at the Ota Ward City Gym. They also announced on night two that the first two nights of the Five Star Grand Prix 2022 at the end of July are also going to be at Ota Ward City Gymnasium. Now, Ota Ward seems to be what they did last year with Yokohama Budokan. They ran the Yokohama Budokan a lot last year, and Ota Ward seems to have seems to be the next step up. And Ota Ward is where they ran the five-star final. And obviously, does that mean that we are looking at a different venue for the five-star final? I mean, do we go big and say, oh, it's going to be the Budokan? I significantly doubt it, but it could be. I know that there is rumors that it could be the Edian Arena in Osaka again. Um, either way, huge strides forward. Another big show, the second big show that we've got in May, because we've got one at the start of May as well during Golden Week. Going from strength to strength, Matt. Yes, absolutely. Uh, now, so they're running bigger venues here for the five star. Are they tipping that their hat that they're going to have a bigger star and meaning, and I'm sure we'll talk about it later. Do you think Kari is going to be in these five stars? Because obviously she's huge, huge star, you know, by the back end, you know, by the, coming off the back end of these shows. Do you think that she does these five stars? Is that why they book the bigger venues? Potentially. Um, I mean, if you say, I know we've we've talked about this so often. You look at the five-star Grand Prix from last year, so the 2021 five-star Grand Prix, which was an absolutely fantastic tournament filled with absolutely outstanding matches. You think that Sayurida wasn't in that tournament. Kairi wasn't in that tournament. Hazuki wasn't in that tournament. Natsukatora wasn't in that tournament. Uh, Mirai wasn't in that tournament. Tekla wasn't in that tournament. That's six names just off the top of my head that weren't in that tournament, which means we've got to find six people to drop from that tournament last year, which is or just... They're gonna, or, yeah, or they're going to have 40 people in it, which means me and you will have to podcast three to four times a week, so... <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You might well be hearing a lot from us. <laughs> but either way, it's hugely exciting. Obviously, the more information we get, um, we'll let you know on the podcast. This brings us to match two, which was a Golden Generation singles match where Mirai defeated Saya with the Kimura Lock in 10 minutes and 23 seconds. Now, according to Sonny on commentary, the Stardom Golden Generation is Yutami Hayashishita, Saya Kamatani, Mika, Himika, Yunagi Sayaka, Saya and Mirai. Um, this is a term coined by Rossi Ogawa as the group that will apparently lead stardom into the future. Um, do you think, Matt, just off off topic a little bit, do you think it's worth noting that at no point on these two nights does Mirai team with anyone from Donna Del Mondo? Aside from Shuri, she's the only member that doesn't team with anyone from Donna Del Mondo. I mean, it could just be the fact that that's how it's booked. Or do you think we're telegraphing something, obviously knowing what we know now with Suri and her impending new uh, faction? 
I don't know. You're reminding me of Chris Jericho and WCW. Your conspiracy theories here, brother. But no, I think, <laughs> I think that I didn't even look at that. I think it was just the way that it was booked. And we, we don't get to see Mariah in a lot of singles matches. And the two of one, the two of them that she had on this weekend, I thought were absolutely great. Uh, you know, obviously she had the singles match with Sherry, Sherry's first red belt defense. Uh, I thought, you know, this put a really good spotlight on her. You know, this way it's, it's, you know, here it is. We're going to put around these two shows. There's going to be close to three, you know, almost 3,000 people night one, about 3,000 people night two. A lot of people, pay-per-view buys, a lot of people waiting for it to come up on Stardom World. So, you know, a lot of people are seeing her, you know, in this spotlight. I thought she did tremendous. And this match, when we previewed it and when we talked about it, you know, uh, after the show or before the show or when we, we text, it literally went down exactly how we thought it was going to go down. And by no means were we complaining on this one, brother. This was, you know, even to start, like a nice tight lockup. It's like you rarely see like a nice tight, like 60, 70 styles like lockup. I mean, they went right at it. And um, I think I had the the Larry under over set at five in my house. I obviously took the over and I think there was seven or eight. A uh, lot of chops, a lot of hard hitting. I, again, you know, for coming from the wrestler perspective, when I watch this match and I watch the story unfold, to me, it was probably they had like two or three things called in the back. I'm like, all right, I'll see you out there, you know. <laughs> hit hard and safe place and let's go at it uh a lot like a lot of big strikes a lot of uh again you, you knew what you're gonna get with saeed and mariah they weren't doing any flippy stuff they weren't doing any topes there wasn't any you know thumbtacks or anything like that you just have two hard-hitting women that make sense of their matches that make things entertaining that don't overstay their welcome i thought the finish was really well uh, uh mariah she has in the double wrist lock and Saeeda tries to get out of it and he pulls Saeeda back in and gets Saeeda to tap. I think there's a really good way to uh, to solidify Mirai going into the next day where she's basically wrestling, you know, the loser of the white belt match between uh, Saya Kamatani and Yutami Hayashisa. I thought this was great. It's exactly what I wanted. Didn't go on too long. I had a three and three-fourth stars. Thoroughly enjoyed this one. This was a match that did exactly what it needed to do. It was beautiful of it in its complete simplicity. It didn't overcomplicate itself. We knew what we were getting. We knew we were effectively getting a 10-minute forearm and lariat exchange. And that's all it needed to be. You know, we had tests of strengths, that incredibly powerful lockup you talked about before. And at that point, it's worth noting that you can see just how jacked the back of Sayurida is. Like, Honestly, her back is just her muscles have muscles. Um, there's quite a few times actually where you see the agility of Mariah, with her being such a power striker and a power wrestler. You don't often talk about her agility, but there was one moment in particular where she uses her legs to effectively box the ears of Sayurida, which I thought was incredibly unique. I thought it was really cool. Um, but yeah, it did everything I wanted it to do. I love these sorts of matches. Sayurida is an absolute gem. Mirai, you know, heading into the future, what a star Mirai is going to be. Um, the way they sort of, the way they interacted at the end of the match. So, you know, the big show of respect, you know, the fist bumps, the smiles, sort of pointing at each other. It seems that we're heading towards another rivalry. And if we get to see, you know, two, three years down the line, more high-stakes Sayurida and Mirai matches, that combination could be gold, Matt. 
Yeah, or even, I know we don't get a lot of singles matches on these, you know, quote-unquote Road 2 shows. What if they were just to throw, like, a best-of-five series, you know, going in on a handful of, uh, you know, Road 2 shows, and we get singles matches with Mariah and Saida? I mean, that would be one that, when I'm taking my notes, I would definitely sit up. My posture would be a little bit better during those matches because I would sit up straight. That would make my mom proud. And, hey, anytime I can make my mom proud, that's always a good thing. (laughs) But, but yeah, I mean, these are two that they can go, and you can go and give them, you know, a best of three, a best of five matches, and they can make it a little bit different each time just based on their offense and where they put things and where they can counter things. Like, okay, I've seen these double lariats coming two or three times before. I better duck one and then hit maybe one of my own or hit a chop. Or There's a zillion things that the, the two of them could do. And, yeah, you keep it to 10 or 12 minutes each match. And I, I know I'll be a happy camper. But, yeah, I noticed that, too, with the fist bump. They're kind of like, okay, you got me this time. You know, maybe I can get you next time. With a double wrist lock, you know, it's an old it's an old catch wrestling move. It's literally something that, hey, I just got caught. I just got caught in this double wrist lock, and I had to tap out. You know, maybe next time I know a way out of it, and, you know, maybe I can counter it with a chop and do a lariat and do a brain buster, and then Saida, you know, wins on, on the next time because she was able to counter Because it was basically a 50-50 back-and-forth match. It just got – Saida got caught in the double wrist lock on the end. So, yeah, piggybacking off what you said, brother, I think that this we're going to see more of these two down the line, and uh, I can't wait to see it. I mean, we talked, you know, at length about – the the feud between Azumi and Starlight Kid, and if this feud between Saeeda uh, and Mirai is heading that way as well, good grief, we have got some talent. And you know, if and when Stardom do get round to booking a dome in the next what two three years, think about the progress Saeeda and Mirai will have made, and think about what that match would look like to Tokyo Dome. Good gracious me, I'm all for that. I gave this three and a half stars, by the way. Um, But yeah, another outstanding match. Um, We move on then to the six-woman four-team gauntlet tag team match with the Donna Del Mondo team of Himika, Natsupoi, and Mei Sakurai defeating the Queen's Quest team of Azumi, Lady C and Mio Amasaki, the Oeditai team of Fukigen Death, Ruwaka and Saki Kashima, and Cosmic Angels and Friends, with Himika getting the final pinfall with the JP Coaster in 9 minutes and 58 seconds. Now, Matt, I don't want to say that I should (laughs) be on the booking committee, but I booked this entire thing from start to finish on our preview show, including who got pinned and by whom, I believe. So I am going to take my extremely petulant little victory lap because I was genuinely very happy with myself until I realized this had absolutely no stakes and was relatively irrelevant. Well, I kind of wanted to, I, I was literally watching this and I was like, man, Rob, literally hashtag Rob Goodwin was right. You literally booked this like, entrances pretty much the whole nine so i kind of want to ask you sir now i've been involved in independent wrestling literally half my life i've had a zillion matches i've helped put the matches together you know i've done interviews this or that but i've never booked a pro wrestling match before so i have to ask you how was it booking this match like did you get any pushback (laughs) from anybody (laughs) i mean to be fair they did four team gauntlet match in under 10 minutes now talk about ripping through it jesus it was so it was like over and done with i was like is there another team coming out what um the reason i'm focusing so much on uh my own little uh my own little ego rub is because again there's not a great deal to talk about in this match i'll be perfectly honest 
this is quite possibly the weakest match on both shows, aside from the Cinderella Rumble. Um, and that depends very much on how you feel about Rumbles. Um, I, I wasn't a huge fan of this, um, but ultimately, I think the word inoffensive springs to mind. There yeah. were some great moments. Amasaki hitting that big pendulum, DDT, that was great. I think if we're to pick an MVP of this Gauntlet match as a whole, I think Mio Amasaki is probably the one. I thought she came out of it smelling of roses, Matt. I see your point on that one. I, again, you had all this done in 10 minutes, and even the rumble went, went by pretty quick, and we'll talk about that a, as we come to it. So it's just like, okay, you have all these people in the match, and they didn't have enough time to kind of mess anything up. Like, no disrespect. Like, nobody came to see this match. They came to see the you know, last three or four matches. So they got all this done in 10 minutes. And I, I see your point where you thought Miyu was the MVP, but maybe it's just because of her star has risen so much in the last three months. To me, it was Azumi. I thought Azumi came off like, I don't know, maybe just, just like her star power. Like, coming off that Starlight Kid match, and we've already pretty much had her in the top tier of stardom. But ever since that, and growing of the hair, I got to say, I got to put it over, brother, and growing <laughs> out her, and, and, and taking you Tommy's hair, uh, <laughs> growing out her hair, she just seems to be on a completely different, like, a charismatic level, like, if that makes sense. Like, she just seems like, okay, I'm ready for, like, you know, a white belt match or a red belt match any time now. They literally can plug her into that in any one of those programs and it wouldn't make sense. So I think, again, Miyu came across looking really, really well here. But for me, it was just like maybe just her interest or the way she carried herself. It was completely different, especially in that big venue in front of all those people. I thought Azumi just, you know, just came out of this just looking so much better. Again, with all these more eyes on it. But yeah, it was relatively uh, inoffensive and I did like the uh, the finish just Emic with that giant lariat and the JP coaster I thought everything flowed real well and it had a really good ending you know the big lariat JP coaster and uh and finish and we're out of here in 10 minutes so I thought that was pretty good and again I will always anytime people work really well and the psychology makes sense and they don't always say you're welcome you will always get the traditional Matt Turner three stars uh, and I gave this one three I uh, I gave this one three stars. anytime I give a match less than three stars there's you know the psychology there's something wrong with it that I didn't like but uh yeah and they got all that done in 10 minutes so you will get the three stars from me the one thing I will say, well, there's two things, actually. One of them was that the Queen's Quest and DDM closing stretch, where everybody got their shtick in, was absolutely great. The pick of the bunch being not supposed to release German suplex to Izumi. Like, honestly, considering she's the height she is and she's the build she is, the way she can throw people around is unbelievable. Um, and also, this match is responsible for me finally realizing that the JP and JP Coaster stands for Jumbo Princess. I had oh. no idea until they brought it up on English commentary. I thought you were going to say something else. You finally realized, they do have the note, you finally realized that you will no longer call the Baba Chop, the Great Kali Chop, because <laughs> they did put over that Lady C's offense is inspired by uh, Giant Bob and Akira Tawe. So I was like, yes, I literally was like <laughs> pumping my fist as it was like 10 o'clock at night after my first day of getting stretched at my uh, <laughs> at my catch wrestling clamp, where it was just like, there's nobody there. My wife's half asleep. The cats are asleep. I was like, yeah, there it is. I was like, you may have booked this match from start to finish, right, my man? But there you go. They buried your great Kali reference. They did. I mean, we did see a second rope Kali brain chop from Lady C. Uh, oh, you which just was... said it again. Damn it. I just... Just got done 45 seconds talking about how it's not the great call. You're, 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 you're right. Great call. I'm like, no, you just went back on it. Like when my kid cheated when she doesn't listen. I'm like, I just told you not to do that. <laughs> one, uh, thing, one thing I will say, and it's probably the one thing that surprises me in this match. We were already talking about this match far too much. Um, 
but I was surprised that we didn't really see any Mei Sakurai. Like, I think she did one move. I think she hit a stunner to Amasaki, and that was it. And I was surprised that we didn't, they didn't give her more of a, more of a sort of platform, considering she was going for the future of Stardom Championship the next night. But it was just, you know, it's nothing massive. It was just something that I noticed, especially as DDM didn't come into last. Um, I think I think she did one move, and that was it. So at least she got on the card. That's that's the main thing. I I don't share your optimism on this one. Um, I gave it two and a half stars, not because it's rubbish, but just because it's okay. And if we're talking about you know the dreaded five star scale, two and a half stars is is half, which you know it's not great, it's not horrendous. I think that's probably the line for me, if I'm being brutally honest. We move on then to tag, uh, sorry, match four, which was a tag team match. The prominence team of Risa Sarah and Suzu Suzuki defeating the Donna Del Mondo team of Micah and Tekla after Suzu Suzuki uh, pinned Tekla with a German suplex in 10 minutes and 27 seconds. And I am going to put the English commentary team over again here. The additional context they gave to this match was tremendous, as well as a video package that highlighted the debut of Prominence and the Suzuki and Julia confrontations. It was really, really good. Now, something that I didn't know heading into this, obviously people who follow stardom relatively religiously will know that there is a history between Julia and Suzu Suzuki, but... What Sonny brought up on commentary is that obviously Tekla wrestled in Ice Ribbon at the same time as Prominence and, you know, for a limited time with Julia as well. Um, but apparently she she announced her release at the same time that Prominence announced they were leaving. And according to Sonny, there was heat with Prominence because Tekla, basically it was expected that Tekla would join them and they were shocked when she rocked up in stardom instead. So that adds another story wrinkle into this match, which was which helped, certainly, didn't it, Matt? Especially as this is a match that didn't have Julia in, and it was effectively Risa Sarah and Suzu Suzuki versus, you know, the sort of mini bosses before they get to Julia. I what do you think? Yeah, I see your point there. And I gotta ask you a question, forgive my ignorance, because I don't know no near as much as you do. No, I know there's a bunch of Japanese uh, Joshi promotions that are in the process of folding or already have folded. Is Prominence still a company that still runs normal shows? Prominence is the group that left Ice Ribbon at the end of 2021. So I think there's five members, and they are in the process of setting up their own promotion called Prominence with the first show, I believe, running in the first week of April. So obviously they left one promotion, Ice Ribbon, and have started their own promotion called Prominence. Okay, the reason why I asked that, I was completely blown away by this match. For I've seen next to nothing of Suzu Suzuki and Risa Sarah. I was completely blown away. And considering the fact that like the, the, the shaking of the tag division coming off these two shows, I would love to see Suzu and Sarah in the in uh, the the stardom. Excuse me, the, the stardom tag division a lot more, if not full time. I was bl- absolutely blown away. Tekla looked really good here. You know, we've been kind of on Tekla's case since the beginning of the year, but we do keep saying about how she's constantly getting better 
on the little aspects as she's, you know, pretty much on every show. And Micah looked really good here. And even, even, you know, this was, this was a match that even Amber, my wife, you know, I, I always, you know, talk about her because she watches things different than me and you do. She watches things in like a more like casual fan perspective. And when that match was over, she even said that was really good because Tekla is a lot better. Like, I just remember Tekla being annoying and I didn't like her. She goes, I really enjoy Tekla here. And this match is really good. And I thought this match was solid. Everything made sense. I thought Tekla's stuff was really good here. I thought the double teams from the Promise team were really, really good. I thought both of them came across looking like stars. Mike is, she's excellent. Uh, and she was really, she always throws her lariats in. But this match, uh, it meant a little bit more because it's more of a feud. So the lariats were in there just a little bit tighter. And I thought the finish was was fantastic. That stalling German suplex uh, on the Tekla. I thought that was a that was a great visual. I thought again, this is another match that didn't overstay its welcome. I mean, you have a lot of matches on these shows that we're really hoping gets a decent amount of time. So we're hoping the undercard doesn't go over, so it doesn't burn out the crowd. But this one didn't go that long, and again, I cannot put over enough the uh, prominence tag team. I had this one three and three, three and three fourth stars, and I hope we see you know. I hope we, we see more of this th- this tag team in stardom a lot more because I think this is something that you can main event a lot of shows with. Suzu Suzuki is 19, and she oh felt my goodness. like an absolute star in this. She, I, like you, Matt, I have very, very limited knowledge of any other Josie promotion apart from stardom, but I thought she looked incredible. Over these two nights, she was put over huge and the way she utterly destroyed Tekla in that closing sequence hitting that grotesque sounding headbutt that's only topped by one on night two um that full Nelson slam off the top rope and then that headbutt proper seems to daze Tekla as well because it takes her an age to come to Micah's aid in the post-match beatdown she seems properly out of it so very hard hitting. I thought her and um, Risa Sarah had tremendous chemistry. Risa Sarah's air raid crash on Micah, the modified one, looked incredible. I thought everything was smooth. I thought it was the perfect palate cleanser before we got to what would inevitably be the brutality of the match on night two. I thought it put over Suzu Suzuki because this is the first time we've seen her in a stardom ring and we want to care more about the feud between her and Julia. I thought they booked it perfectly prominence looked incredibly strong tackler can afford to eat a pinfall because it's very i think she's only been pinned twice i think this was her third loss so you know pinfall loss so she can afford to take one and then again we had the feud afterwards because micah's um jump into the defense of julia and then the fight to the back it clearly isn't over um it did what it needed to do i gave it three and a half hugely Hugely impressed by Suzu Suzuki. And if this is what she can do at 19, good grief. By the time she's 21, 22, she's going to be on top of one promotion by an absolute mile, isn't she? Yeah, absolutely. And I think Rossi Ogawa tweeted something out that he was impressed by. I don't know if it was if it was Suzuki or Sarah or both of them. But he said it's something that he's getting his wheels turning. It's something that he wants to book. Uh, again, you know, I, I just hope this is a tag team. Again, you know, starting up their own promotion prominence, maybe it's something that they bring them in for for tag league. You know, kind of like we've seen with the Marvelous, uh, people from Marvelous. So I would be all in for that. So, yeah, I was, I, I, I agree with you 100% on this one, my man. This was solid. My only thing, obviously, I know that the prominence girls want to do more deathmatch stuff and prominence is going to be quite deathmatch heavy. I don't see 
many death matches permeating over into stardom. So potentially when they bring them over, that could be the more wrestling heavy stuff as opposed to the death match stuff. One question I wanted to ask you, obviously we haven't had that Julia Suzu Suzuki singles match yet. Off these two nights, obviously we'll talk a little bit more about it on night two, but I just wanted to get your, your opinion here. What level do you think if I was to say we're going to main event a show with Julia versus Suzu Suzuki as a singles match, do you think that main event's a Corican? Because to me, I think that sells tickets at a Corican show. Julia versus Suzu Suzuki in the main event. Yeah, as long as you have to put a stipulation where it's going to be no rules, and I, and I think you put like a really good undercard match, like you put uh, Momo Starlight Kid defending the spoilers. We're going to talk about it in two minutes. Momo Starlight Kid defending the tag titles against maybe Mayu Ida. But I think yeah, you put that on, you put that on top on top uh, with like a stipulation where there's no rules or relaxed rules or something like that. Yeah, I think that's gonna sell. I, I mean, really, Stardom is just on a roll where it's just like you mentioned the name Stardom, and you're gonna sell a, a good amount of tickets before any matches are even announced. But yeah, I totally agree that you can main event a, a cork and show and pretty much sell it out with the two of them because not only do you get that match, you know you're getting solid matches underneath as well. Yeah, absolutely. We move on then to our next title match, the Goddesses of Stardom Championships match with Black Desire team of Momo Watanabe and Starlight Kid defeating the champions, Fukuoka Double Crazy, with the Peach Thunder in 14 minutes and 18 seconds, ending Hazuki and Kagama's reign with the belt at 76 days. Um... First things first, Matt, obviously we had no flirty Hazuki again, and in fact, she actually seems to be getting further away from Rossi Ogawa, if anything. Um, but we seem to have the genesis of flirty Starlight Kid. Will that be okay Whoa. for the time being? I never picked that up, because what had happened is when I saw no flirty, flirty Suzuki, I shut the TV off, and I went to the next <laughs> match. No, totally kidding. No, most not, no. I, I, you know, I, she hasn't been flirty Suzuki since they won the belt, so I don't, I haven't even wrote that down in my notes, and I think like two months. But he's a flirty starlight kid. Wow, that's you know what? I, uh, just more of a pleasure to talk to you, sir, because there's certain things that I don't pick up on that you do. I'm putting that in my notes. Look for flirty starlight <laughs> kid. Okay. We only talk about the most important things here on the Stardom Cast, people. <laughs> that said, you know, I was asked the question, if you can meet anybody on the Stardom roster, who would be? And it would number one would be Flirty Hazuki, but Flirty <laughs> Hazuki's not there. Regular Hazuki drops down to like 15. It'd be like Mayu, Tam, Yutan, whatever. But anyway, so uh, as far as this match goes, this match was awesome. I and mean, we knew it was going to be good. I thought this was tremendous. I was a little shocked by there really wasn't too, too much interaction with uh, Hazuki and Mo and Momo Watanabe, I thought that you'd kind of get a little preview uh, during this match, uh, you know, considering the fact there's only four. But it's basically like a lot of Kog uh, Koguma. Um, you saw the Starlight Kid Hazuki stuff was really really good, and I can't wait for them to have a singles match somewhere down the road. Um, yeah, this was solid. It was hard hitting. Everything made sense. The double team work from FWC was really really good. As was Momo and Starlight Kid. And considering that the fact that going into this match they've only had like one or two actual tag matches, it's all been six and eight person. Uh, I thought that everything there was really good. You know I'm not a big fan of interference, but the two little things of interference here made sense for the heels to get up on the baby faces. And by that, I mean Uedo Tai would jump up on the apron, but they didn't do anything. Uh, no members of Uedo Tai, really, they didn't hit the ref or bump the ref or beat up Hazuki or Kagama. They just distracted so Momo can get a chair shot in and Starlight Kid can throw a chair into a drop kick in, which makes sense, you know, oh, they couldn't beat them without cheating. But it was like minimal cheating. So the... 
it made sense. Like the interference in this match made sense and it wasn't overdone, which I thought was, I thought that was going to happen as a way was on the apron. I'm like, Oh man, here we go. This is going to ruin a good match. And actually it kind of added to it. Uh, my only uh, kind of nitpick thing in this match is when they were going towards the falsies and the false finishes, the last two or three minutes of the matches there was, and this is me just being like an old school tag wrestling fan. There was no tags. It was just Momo and, uh, and, Koguma in the ring and I noticed that in a lot of tag matches that they'll just keep the two legal people in the ring and kind of just go back and forth I kind of wish there was you know some more tags again I kind of fall into that all Japan 90s style of where you're building up the finish towards a, a big tag match and uh, you know you would see Kawada tag out to get Tawe out or Misawa Kabashi Akiyama whatever to get them out to you know to kind of get a rest after they took a big move but that was like my only nitpick thing. But I thought this was absolutely tremendous. I thought everybody looked really, really good. I know we don't see a lot of like rematches for the tag titles once the uh, there's a tag title switch. I hope they, they run this one back soon. I thought this was tremendous. And I had this one at four and a quarter stars. Again, my only nitpick thing is if there was a little more tags towards the end to build up the finish, I probably would have had this one at four and a half and four and three fourth stars but other than that this did exactly what it needed to do and it's nice to see what some uh some gold around uh momo watanabe considering the fact that you know, last week we talked about her for two hours with the white belt absolutely and she looked absolutely incredible in that new gear as well she looked like an absolute killer um it's not the best gear on this show um and we'll be talking about that soon um but no i i thoroughly thoroughly enjoyed this match you wouldn't know that black desire have only ever had two tag matches together um i love the way that this match starts the fact that hazuki knows that momo starts a huge majority of her matches with a snapmare and a stiff kick to the back and if anyone's going to know that it's hazuki as the commentary team point out she's teamed with momo 29 times fought against her 31 times and she catches that first kick which shifts the momentum of the match the initial momentum of the match anyway and i just thought that was a really really nice touch Something that I am going to say, Hazuki's been great since her return, and please don't think that I am ragging on Hazuki. Hazuki is fantastic, and I will not hear a word said against her, but we haven't seen the top Hazuki. We got close with that fantastic match against Utami at Kawasaki Super Wars, but she seems to be, you know, not going through the motions. It's not that, but let's put it this way. Here, over these two shows, she has seemed completely reinvigorated, bouncing around the ring at a pace we just haven't seen from her. I mean, it helps that she did the suicide dive and it didn't look like she was going to crown herself. It looked really good. Um, but I thought we saw a new level of aggression in Hazuki that's maybe just been missing from her previous matches. Am I out of my mind, Matt, or is that something you picked up on as well? your point there a little bit but i mean then again you don't know what she's going through you don't know if she's tired if she's injured if she's just like well you know especially when these multi-person tag matches it's they're trying to shine up hannah a little bit they're trying to show up shine up uh, momo kogo a little bit so maybe she's kind of taking a step back so she doesn't overshadow them i kind of see your point however anytime she's in a ring with a single tag six or eight person uh, i'm always you know excited to see her because she's just so so darn good in the ring i'm not going to completely agree with you or completely disagree with you uh, on that statement, but I will agree with you that she looked absolutely fantastic. I think just about everybody did. Everybody had their working boots on, brother, as we, as we say <laughs> on this show. But yeah, she looked really, really good, and obviously we'll get to it on her singles match with Momo. Uh, obviously the new gear was, a, was something, you know, a, a nice, uh, you know, fresh coat of paint 
as as we say. So uh, no, yeah, uh, solid performance on you know everybody on this one. But yeah, good point, good pickup too on the Momo going for the back kick, and Hazuki was like, nope. And I was like, oh man, but I really wanted to see a Momo kick to start this matchup. <laughs> so Hazuki was a heel for me. Have you not seen it enough <laughs> in this retrospective no, match? Have I, you I, not I, seen I, enough <laughs> snapmares and kicks? <laughs> absolutely not i was like oh man you got to keep in mind where my mindset was i was just stretched for six or seven hours so the more violence for me the better brother i was like so hazuki was a heel of me for about three seconds so that's about it <laughs> my highlight of this match aside from the brutal suplexes that they threw the top rope kogama cutter you know all the great bits of this match faded into insignificance when starlight kid tried to get the crowd going and I don't know if you picked up on this, Matt, but this proper made me laugh to the point where I had to pause the pay-per-view. She it does it a lot. It's like, you realize that you're a heel? Like, there's only one real heel group in, in you know, like I, Donald Delmondo or whatever, like, you can say they're tweeners, but, like, it's like I, people forget that they gotta tell Starlight Kid, like, you're a heel. You cut these heel asshole heel promos at the end of your match. Like, stop trying to get the crowd involved like you're Ricky Morton. Like She did it, though, Matt, by... She... <sighs> She did a body slam on the outside, and I think she body slammed Azuki onto Kogama, and then tried to get the crowd going by cupping her ear. So, like, saying, right, I can't hear you. But she did it to the ear of her mask, which is on the top of her head. And I don't know why that tickled me as much as it did. But I had to pause the pay-per-view because I was laughing that. I think I was just delirious from lack of sleep, to be honest. But I wonder wonder if... I wonder if she did that to rib somebody. Like, if Kari was just like, hey, I've been watching some of your matches. You're really good. I want to have a match with you. But, like, hey, uh, you know, don't something with the ear, with the mask. And maybe she's just like, okay, no problem, you know. <laughs> Legend of stardom. And then it's just like, yeah, in front of, like, almost 3,000 people. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to cup the ear. I don't know. Maybe she just did that to pop somebody in the back. I didn't notice it. But that's <laughs> hilarious. But I have noticed that, like, she'll do all this heel stuff. And then she'll try to get the crowd involved. It's just like... I'll give you a free pass every time because you're Starlight Kid and you're fantastic. I'm like, man, I don't know. Maybe it's <laughs> me just being too wrestling 101 on that one, but that's that's hilarious. I did not see your cup the year. That's great. Final thing, though, just before we move on to the next match, I do like the parallel that Mayu and Kid are going through at the moment, that even though they're worlds apart at the moment, they're still doing roughly the same thing. They've both split off and created their own inadvertent versions of MK Sisters. So you've got Momo and Kid and Mayu and Kogo. And I just, I quite like that symmetry that they've completely unintentionally got. Um, So that's a really, really nice touch. I'm sure it's completely accidental, but I like it. I gave this four stars. Um, Obviously, Black Desire are your new and 23rd goddesses of stardom tag team champions. It's Momo's second reign with the belt, and it's Kid's first. Um, I don't know if you've seen this, um, but this this style change didn't go down well on Twitter with a few people. One person uh, likening it to the current situation in the Ukraine, which is just... What a ridiculous thing to compare it to, like, honestly. Don't even bring that up. That's terrible. It's, That's trash. It's, it's pro wrestling, man. Like, get a grip. Um, overall, I thought this was great. I thought the finish, like you said, was great. I thought the heel heat that that, that was on Momo and Kid at the end, brilliant. And then, of course, you had the water in Hazuki and Kagama's faces and then them doing the mocking bear pose. Brilliant. They were brattish teen bullies, and I loved it because you just wanted okay. to see them get their comeuppance now. It's perfect. Yeah. 
Yeah, which I thought the water thing was funny because, like, when we, we did the Momo review, I talked about how I watched her match with Hazuki like three times over. And that's the part where, if you remember, Hazuki dumps the water in Momo's face. That was four years ago. So I don't know if it was a receipt, but considering the fact that I just watched that match three times in like two weeks, so it was very like fresh in my mind. I'm like, I don't know if this is a receipt or not. But I thought that was, uh, <laughs> or if they just did it. But I thought it would have been even funnier because Starlight Kid has to go overboard all the time. How funny would it have been if like, she had a bottle of water and she threw it down and she just took a gallon of water? <laughs> Got one of those things that's from like a cooling fountain. <laughs> just tips yeah, it exactly. Yeah. It takes like that's five that's minutes gonna... to empty. <laughs> and then she, then she rips out her knee trying to throw it up in her mattress. <laughs> um, we move on to what many people we're here to see is the Kyrie Princess Pirate return match. Maya Wiwatani and the returning Kyrie defeating the Cosmic Angels, Tam Nakano and Yunagi Sayaka, when Mayu pinned Yunagi with the Moonsault in 17 minutes and 36 seconds. I'm going to let Matt Watts lyrical about this because I know he wants to, but first, the video package before this match is predictably fantastic, highlighting Kyrie's final moments in stardom and then focusing on her return and her training prior to this match, focusing in particular on her perfecting a submission called the Kraken Lock with MMA legend Yuki Nakai and the spinning backfist, which we've seen before, but has now been rechristened the Cutlass, which is apparently a short sword used by sailors, the more you know. Um, Matt, you asked yes. if there was any concerns about Kyrie's in-ring condition having not wrestled since 2020 in the WWE. Answer your own question. Did Kyrie prove you wrong? She was trash here. They should fire her. <laughs> no. I I wasn't concerned. I kind of just wanted to get your uh, your top your uh, your, your, your two cents on it, sir. But you know, we talk about um, it's Julia, the it factor, right? She's got the as far as the it factor. Anybody in Star Mayu has her own quirky it factor. Tam has her it factor. You Tommy, but like Julia has. Her if factor is on a completely different level, in my opinion. And I know, you know, some people agree with me and, and what, and that's fine. But just on Kyrie's interest, and I'm like, before she even stepped foot in the ring, I'm like, she's the biggest star in this company. She hasn't been, she hasn't wrestled in two years. She hasn't been in this company in five years. Just on her entrance alone, you can see the people. More people are taking pictures of Kyrie. You can hear the flash, the, the photographers around ringside. There were more people on, just on her entrance alone, I'm like, she's the biggest star. She she hasn't even stepped in the ring yet. I'm like, she is the biggest star in this company. And you can say whatever you want to about WWE. The E in WWE stands for entertainment, and that's what they groom on. And I'm not I, before even Carrie left, she did have that it factor. She had that charisma. She was fantastic in that part that part. And she her in-ring stuff was second to none. Nobody can, you know, can argue with me on that one. But it seems like she comes back and she brings this completely different level of entertainment, of it factor, of charisma. Just in these two matches. I mean, is that something that you pointed out, you, you picked up on as well? Again, I, even, you know, 2015, 16, 17, her charisma was really, really good. But this is completely different level. And I think that's something that she probably learned, you know, over here, over here in the States. I think there's a difference between aura and charisma. Kyrie's always had some sort of aura around her, but she, the charisma that she had, the way she had the crowd eating out of the palm of her hand, in though in these two matches especially... I thought was tremendous. And it I think that is something that she has learned in the WWE and her time in NXT. 100% Matt, completely agree with you. And 
that doesn't take away from how good she is in ring and how good she continues to be in ring because honestly, she was tremendous here. I mean, for start, she had the crowd in now the palm of the hand because she came out to her old last voyage theme and to her old entrance video. So the crowd were already on her side if they weren't already. And then she beats the living bejesus out of Yunagi Sayaka, which has any lingering doubters on her side as well. I mean, she couldn't do wrong for doing right in this match, could she? No, not at all. And, uh, you know, I'm going to go through my notes real quick. And by all means, if you need to cut me off to add something, by all means, my friend, do it. But yeah, Tam and Mayu to start, which I thought that was smart, uh, kind of picking up back up on their feud. And then Kari would come in and they would do some of their old freedom double teams moves, which I thought was nice. And there was one point that I'm going to have to go back and watch this match because it kind of took my eyes off everything in the match other than poor Mayu. Is she, uh, she, well, she does the Momo kick that I so wanted to see the match before the snap nair kick. She does it to Yunagi. And when she does, you can tell she hurts her foot. She shakes it off, and instead of tagging out immediately or doing something else, she kicks her again. So I was like, <laughs> oh, geez. <laughs> like, um, and and then I don't know if you noticed, but she then she eventually tags out, and she go and she she comes off the apron. Did you notice that? Like, she was off the apron for a good three or four minutes. I didn't notice that. No. Yeah, yeah, she was off the apron, and she walked over almost like where the trainers were. Like, if you're looking at where the hard cam was, she was walking over, limping. And I said, looked over and I even told Amber, I said, oh, I think Mayu's injured, which one, we don't want to see anybody injured. But two, this is a big match. And, you know, you don't know how Kari's, uh, if she's got, if Kari's got to finish this on her own, you don't know how her cardio is. And then three, she's got the last match, the main event match going on. So you're concerned for, for three or four different ways. Uh, eventually, she must have shook it off. It might have been just something where she just had a quick pain, kind of like how, you know, when you walk and you stub your toe. Or, you know, something like that. It, it feels like it hurts. It's the end of the world for like 10 or 15 <laughs> seconds. And then I think she just walked it off and shook it off. But I didn't even pay, pay attention to anything Kari was doing in the ring at that point because I was just concerned about poor Mayu. But then she got in the ring. She was running the ropes and she was fine. But I thought another really cool point into this match was Kari and Tam, they get in the ring and they slow everything down. And this is the psychology and the genius and the art of wrestling. You're going to hear me talk about the, the words, the art of wrestling a lot in this podcast because it slows down the two of them stare at each other and they get down and they, you know, all of a sudden almost like time stands still time stands still. And you can hear three audible things in my house. One is the flash bulbs going off all the camera camera people. You can just see them taking tons of pictures Two, the money that they're going to make on this, ta- on this uh, Tam Kari match. Cause I think that one's coming up next. Cause I don't think they would have slowed that down and done that if they weren't going to do anything. And three was my heart fluttering for this beautiful stare down between Tom and Kari. <laughs> but uh, I thought that was really good. Um, obviously we knew where this match was going to go. I thought, again, if you're watching this, if you, you know, I, we know the star power of all four of them and especially Kari, we, you know, we talked about her aura, but if you're kind of take that out of context and I know I'm, I always wax poetically of how much I, I love Tam. I thought Tam was like the MVP of this match. I thought, like, if you didn't know, if you just came into my house and sat down, you understood wrestling and didn't know who these four individuals are, I thought Tam came across the best. And I thought that might have been by design because I think that's eventually where they're going to go. I think Kari's next big program or her singles match is going to be with Tam, uh, which makes sense because they planted the seeds here. But the finish, we knew we were going to see the spinning back fist. We saw it twice here. Saw the spinning back fist, the insane elbow, and then uh, tags in Mayu for the moonsault pin. And we were all... We all knew we were going to get the spinning back fist and then the insane elbow. We thought that was going to be the finish. But again, just us overbooking things and looking at things. I'm like, yeah, why wouldn't Mayu get the win here? Makes total sense. She's got the main event match tomorrow. Kari doesn't need to win here. I mean, she uh, she did get the win on the tag 
the you know the tag match, but she hits her two big finishes and then Mayu hits. I mean, not that Yunagi was getting up anyway, so they basically just mm-hmm. death bombed her with three big moves, uh, all you know back to back to back. So I was all set to give this match three and three fourth stars, but as I was writing my notes, I was kind of just reminding myself of how much I enjoyed it, so I bumped it up a quarter star. I had this one at four stars. One hundred percent the same, my friend. Um, I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed this match from. Yunagi slapping Kairi, then realizing what a mistake she'd made and trying to back out and Tam pushing her back into the ring, basically saying, now nah, you've opened this can of worms, you've now got to deal with it. thought that was great. I thought Kairi's in-ring stuff was magnificent. She transitioned into a stretch muffler absolutely beautifully. The bombs that were thrown were great. Um, and overall, initially I was the same. I thought, well, why would you not give... Kyrie the win with the insane elbow and then she's got a singles match the following night where the more of the focus is on Kyrie there so give her the victory there give her that moment there of course in my predictions I pr- predicted that uh, Starlight Kid was going to win but let's ignore that um overall completely loved this match I completely agree with you they are clearly building to a Kyrie and Tam um program that makes sense because at the press conference when she revealed that she was coming back to stardom, Tam was someone that she mentioned and then Yunagi came in and said, well, I'm the assessor of stardom, you're new. Um, it it did make me laugh that the entire dynamic of Cosmic Angels in this match was different to any other because even Tam was like, you can't assess Kyrie. Do you know who she is? Like, fair enough. Assess Wakasuki Armor, assess Mei Sakurai, but Kyrie. Really, Unagi, and obviously Unagi realized that it's um, about 30 seconds into the match that she'd done messed up. Um, but overall, a really, really, really fun match, a great return. Um, the post match was interesting, wasn't it, Matt? <laughs> yeah, yeah, to kind of kind of say the least, it's uh, it's something else, but yeah, I mean, you know, just to rewind 20 seconds here, mm-hmm. yeah, that time Kari match maybe something, I don't know if my heart can take it, and maybe that's something, maybe for our uh, our Red Belt tier Patreon listeners, maybe I'll uh, put a heart rate monitor on during the match and watch my heart rate spike <laughs> uh, for that match, that might be <laughs> a good way to get people to sign up for the Patreon, but yeah, uh, yeah, the post-match was something, what did, what did you think about it? I just, I don't quite understand, like, Obviously, Mayu wanted to give the spotlight to Kyrie. I appreciate that entirely. But Kyrie then completely lost all sense of how to talk, um, which, you know, I think Mayu called a long-winded Kyrie because Kyrie would always do these long, rambling promos. Um, and I just thought that was great. Eventually, they sort of get over the fact that there is, in fact, two more matches. This wasn't the main event. Um, and then Kyrie forgot how to sign off, which was great, or tried to sign off. Um, which was just hilarious. It was a bit of a mess, but I suppose, you know, Maya Wiwatani was involved, so nothing was going to be orthodox. Um, I gave it four stars as well, like I say, the perfect way to bring back Kyrie. Um, that brought us on to the main, co-main event of this show, which was the Wonder of Stardom Championship match, with Aphrodite exploding, the champion Sayakamatani defeating Yutami Hayashishta with the Phoenix Splash in 27 minutes and 11 seconds. The longest match on this card. Um, Utami comes out with a beautiful new red and gold gear. New status of challenger for her. Apparently must equal new gear. Um, what did you think of this match and the change in dynamic from their Budokan match where Sire is the champion and Utami is the challenger, Matt? 
I thought this was, I, this was really good. These two shows almost built like Wrestle Kingdom shows, where they just everything just kept getting better. It just kept getting better as it went. Uh, we have to mention you, Tommy, when she came out, she gave the rose to Tora. Who, correct me if I'm wrong, Rob, you would know better than me, and I believe it's in your book, Living the Dream, uh, written by Rob Goodwin here, the Stardom's 10th Anniversary <laughs> Review. I didn't even mean that to be a plug. I just literally popped <laughs> just, in my head. How about that? Happens naturally now. What? I believe Tora got injured in the match with Utami. So Tora, so Utami gives the match to Tora, who's doing Japanese commentary. And Tora doesn't uh, seem too thrilled with it. So kind of planting the seeds for something there. So uh, I guess it made sense. You make your first comeback match in a, you know, against the uh, the former champion, the match you got hurt. So I thought that was uh, pretty good as well. You're talking about the new gear, and I failed to mention this at the beginning of the show. I think the owner of the building, and I don't have any of my uh, insider people tell me this. I think the owner of the building told Star, I'm like, look, you can run two show- two shows here, but at least half of your roster has to have new gear and tan. <laughs> because that, that's what it was. Like, everybody seemed like they got they got hit with a tan gun and the new gear gun, which was, which was fine, you know. <laughs> Again, yeah, you, you got to dress your Sunday's best. This is the big prom. These two shows. Uh, <laughs> but I, I thought this match was tremendous. I thought Utami's psychology was really, really smart. You kind of want to... Sai is the quicker of the two. She relies on her high-speed offense, her high-move offense. So she goes after Sai's back to begin with. And then once Sai gets in a little bit of trouble with the back, she uses her speed to get away. Uh, she counters with the Hurricanrana top rope helo. Good form exchange uh, between Utami and uh, and Sai. I love Utami's strikes. They're just so, so good. Um, Utami winds up – I'm sorry, Sai winds up getting away, uses uh, again, uses her, her speed again. She hits a Hurricanrana onto the floor for a 19 count. I thought that was good. They kind of tease that there's going to be a count out here. Uh, Poison Rana. Uh, she winds up hitting as well. A lot, a lot of Ranas for Sai, and again, it makes sense. She, she kind of wants to stay away from you, Tommy's big shots, so she has to use her speed and her flashy moves. Um, I was a big fan of, uh, towards the end of the match, uh, Tommy's really working over on Sai, and she's hitting with a lot of her big moves, and she picks her up with a hijack bomb, and I thought, you know what? I think this is where Rob was right. I know we differed on our predictions on this match. You had Tommy win, and I thought this would have been the finish, but uh, she winds up... Um, Sliding sliding down, she counters with that schoolboy slam that she does. She hits a spin kick, uh, the Star Crusher, winds up kicking out at two. And I love I love in title matches, big matches like this, whether, you know, you have a title match, co-main event, match that's getting a lot of time. She hits the Star Crusher, which is her, you know, kind of like her second tier finisher. And she kicks out. And then you think, well, you know what? I have her down. Let me hit my number one finish. And then she hits that. So she hits her two finishes, not back to back, but one, two, kick out. Let me go for the main one. Hits a pitcher perfect pitcher perfect phoenix splash for the three count i thought this was tremendous this is Thaya's. you know i kind of ragged on her first title defense against unagi i didn't really care for too much i love the one with natsupoi uh this one was right up there as well as one of the better matches i've seen her have you know white belt or not i this at four and a half stars i thoroughly thoroughly enjoyed this uh and i i was glad that they were given over 20 minutes to tell their story because i think it needed to and Utami is almost like an Okada Tanahashi where they need, they can go those shorter matches, but when they're given longer time, they have more time to tell their story, get their opponent over and then hence get them over and the match over as well. I've had my issues with Saya's selling before, and it's, it's well documented on the podcast that Saya was very much very agile um, very enthusiastic and very um, ambitious with her moveset, but selling was always the one hole that stopped her being a top-tier wrestler. And I was initially worried that they would quickly raise their ugly head again. Um, I mean, there's one point where Saya is near enough in tears as Utami's working the back, but 
you know, she's able to move about. It's it's one of the issues I had with the initial TAM match. Um, however, here she seems to have learned and does enough to remind the crowd that her back is still a problem. Um, it becomes a little bit more inconsistent as the match goes on. And the question I wanted to ask you, obviously you've been in the ring, Matt, how much does adrenaline play a part in a match like this? How much does it numb the pain? Because after Utami's done all this work on Saya's back, she then does a tope con hero over the top rope, but then, you know, is holding a back. So how much does adrenaline play a part in it? 110%. I mean, there's sometimes, obviously you have to remember to sell, but there's sometimes you'll take some bumps that you don't really, like people, oh man, that looks sick. How do you feel? You took a brain buster tombstone or some sort of, you know, dumb suplex that I'll take on the outside onto the floor on absolutely nothing. Like, oh man, I feel fine. And then, you know, I'll shower, eat. And then by the time I get home two hours later, it's just like, yeah, I can't walk. Uh, <laughs> so that adrenaline does kick in, especially if you have a match like this. I never wrestled in front of the largest crowd I wrestled in front of was like 2,100. But I've never had a match, you know, in front of this many people, you know, never had a pay-per-view match before. So I'm sure if my adrenaline in front of only a couple hundred people with no pay-per-view uh, is at a high level that I'm sure Saya's adrenaline is as as at a, as as at a big level, but coming through a psychology aspect of it, it does make sense. It's like well, she's getting her back worked on, so it's like well, let me hit this. I know if I hit this helo, it's going to create separation. So I'm putting my body at risk. You know, like any high fire, I'm going to put my body at risk here to kind of create separation a little bit and to damage my opponent. So she hits the helo after the back work, you know, and then she goes back to the back salary. So this way you're invested in it. It's like, wow, she did that move to to do damage to her opponent, but look how much pain she is in. Oh, can she overcome this pain in the end? And then eventually she does. It just adds to it, just a- adds levels. It adds levels to, to Saya's character. And, you know, we talked about, I think it was that last week's show, of who's going to be the, you know, the new leader of Queen's Quest because Azumi made mention to it. And then when you predicted Utami to win, and I'm like, that's going to make more sense. Her with the white belt, white belt reign. You can main event a lot of shows with the white belt. Utami between the two of them are the bigger stars. So then it's like when Saya comes back and, you know, she wins this. Now it's like, well, is she going to be deemed the leader of Queen's Quest, especially on these performances? And then the performance on the next night we're going to t- we'll talk about. I think her star has just risen so much, especially in these two nights uh, of what she was able to do. So now it's like, I think you kind of have to go with her. You know, you're, as the new leader of Queen's Quest from kind of moving on forward, don't you think? Yeah, absolutely. I think she, this match, and especially the Tam match, I thought really cemented Syrah's a main event player 100%. That, the closing stretch in this match, you know, laden as it was with callbacks to their Budokan match, the stupidly close two count from the Frankensteiner again, um, all the work that Saya does to wriggle out of the BT bomb and make sure that Utami can't get her into position for these moves. I thought it was absolutely fantastic. Um, Kamatani and then Tam Nakano comes out, obviously, as the, uh, the challenger for night two. And she attempts to have a very, very serious confrontation with Saya, which is completely negated by Tam's gruff voice, which is apparently a side effect of her match with Kairi and Mayu. Um, and it just comes out and... Saya can't help herself. She's like, what has happened to your voice? And Tam's trying to have a very little, a very serious confrontation. She sounds like Batman, basically, is what happens. Batman Um, and Billy Robinson, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, that just sets up night two. But overall, I gave it four and a quarter. I was really impressed with this match. Um, I'm not going to lie, I thought he did go a touch long, 
but that is a very, very small nitpick. I thought altogether this was great. However, um, I did read on Twitter, and it's courtesy of at MattB425 on Twitter, that there's a report from Dave Meltzer that the original booking was for Utami to win and build to a title versus title match versus Suri later on. What are your thoughts on that? Ah, we have talked about before about how they do want to know, has been reported in the Wrestling Observer that they do want to do another Utami Siri match just based on how hot the promotion's been the last year and then coming off the Kari return. So it's just like, well, here's the two, you know, quote unquote, best star rating matches pretty much in the history of the company. And then you put title for title on it. I mean, I think we know that if they did that match, it would go to TLD time limit draw. But I would, you know, I think, <laughs> I think we would, I think we would know the finish on that one, brother. But yeah, Absolutely. I didn't, I didn't read, I didn't read that or hear about that. So now, oh no, I kind of wonder if you Tommy's going to win the Cinderella as previously predicted by somebody in my house. Oh my god! Yeah. <laughs> oh Oh, wait wait no. till the 1st of April, guys, to find our uh, Cinderella bracketology, which has been completely thrown out by booking a World Climax. Unbelievable, brother. Unbelievable. Yeah, uh, love this match, though, but uh, huh, that's that's something. I, you're definitely going to go there, but maybe they just didn't want to do it title for title. Maybe, you know, sign, you know, let's sign Saya up more than she already is, and then let's give you Tommy a bunch of big wins, because in this way you can have an actual finish. Or even if they do go to a title limit draw, I mean, every time they do a title versus title match, and they've been doing this a lot in pro wrestling Noah over the past two years as well, it always goes to a no contest or a title limit draw. At least this way, if it's just Sherry's red belt that's on the line, then it's just like, well, maybe it won't go to a time limit draw. And then if it does, it's just like, at least it wasn't that telegraphed. And again, you're gonna, if that's the match that they're going to go for, you got to give you Tommy a whole bunch of big wins. And where else are you going to give her bigger wins than the Cinderella? God damn it, my wife is right again. Cannot believe this. I cannot believe that your wife, who never watches Stardom Live, outbooked both of us. It's ridiculous. I'm going to um, go drink. Oh, absolutely. Anyway, anyway, let's move on to our main event the first World of Stardom Championship match of the weekend with the champion, Suri, defeating Julia with the. I put Phoenix Splash. It's not, it's the Vermilion World. <laughs> Jesus Christ. It's it's been a long weekend. Um in twenty-six minutes and fifty-four seconds. Matt, you spoke about aura and charisma. Julia looked incredible. Incredible. We talk so much about aura, but my God, this gear is something else. Red for the red belts. She looked tremendous here, didn't she? Yeah, even the commentary team put it on. Like she's 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 all draped in red for the red belt, and I was like, I don't. I was we were both like ninety percent sure they weren't going to swap the belt. But my god, the commentary team's doing a good job because now I don't know. And the first thing I thought of is when Mayu won the red belt for the second time about B. Priestley. All of her defenses were in the red gear to symbolize for the red belt, and I was like, is that what they're playing on here? I'm like, no, this is just a you know. <laughs> I get you know, pun intended red herring that they're not going to go that way. But <laughs> Sherry has really good aura as well as I'm absolutely going to kill you. But Julie is just on a completely different level. You know what that aura and that if factor. And I thought, and I think I even, I was waiting for you to get your response to this match. I think this was Julia's best match ever. I, I liked it even better than the, than the Tam match. And again, you're booking, you have two big buildings where you're upwards of almost 3000 people. Who's in the main event, you know, Julia versus Tam who's in the main event here. Julia versus Siri. What's the common denominator? You know, Julia. So uh, 
she just her stock just continues to rise here. And this is again one of those matches where you can win by losing. And I think Julia is a solid, solid main eventer now. Where you can put, you know, you asked me a little bit ago, you know, no title on the match. Her and Suzu Suzuki can it sell out? Yeah, because it's Julia. Uh, you know, no disrespect to Suzuki. I mean, she's I only seen her in a few matches. She's excellent. But you're putting Julia on there. And even without a title match, I think it'll sell out a building. But I thought this was great. Uh, you know, I'm just going to go over through my notes here real quick, and then I'll tag you in, brother. I thought the uh, psychology was smart. The uh, series starts off using her grappling and striking, well, which is her bread and butter, to get the advantage on Julia. Uh, they wind up spilling to the outside, and then uh, Siri goes for the big head kick, and Julia ducks, and Siri winds up eating the post. Julia uses a little bit more of her brawling uh, aspect of her offense to take advantage, then hits a big pile driver through the table. And I've seen a lot of spots on those Japanese tables, and a lot of times they don't break. Coming from somebody who grew up in the ECW era, those tables would break all the time. And then you'd watch the FMW New Japan stuff, and they never really broke <laughs> with that. I was a, but it was a perfect break, and then I, I went back and watched the replay, and they uh, they did a, Julie did a really good job protecting Siri. A lot of stiff strikes in this one, which you knew they were going to be slaps, headbutts, uh, kicks. I thought a lot of that stuff was really good. I was a big fan of them trading each other's finishers. Um, it almost reminds you, I mean, we're, in, we're, you know, just a couple days away from WrestleMania kind of reminds me of the WrestleMania matches with Austin and rock where they knew each other so well that rock would be hitting the stunner and Austin would be hitting the rock bottom. And then they, Julian Siri, they hit each other's finishes and they kick out at one, like how disrespectful it's like, ha ha, I know your move. I'm like, Oh yeah, I know how to kick out of it at one tremendous. <laughs> uh, I thought it was terrific. And again, I'm a big fan of when these main event title matches, they end with a whole bunch of bombs. And kind of that's the way Sherry had ever since she won the belt. That's what she does. She hits, you know, the big running knee, big head kick, a few spinning back fists. And then she hits the Vermilion World. I thought that was uh, that was fantastic. I, again, even though Sherry comes off here with the win and is really cementing her title reign here very, very well. Julia came off looking as a huge star. Again, I thought this was Julia's best match I've ever seen her in. I had this at four and three fourth stars. I mean, I can't disagree with you. I can't disagree with you. I've got it at four and three quarters as well. I thought he was absolutely tremendous. You know, we started with the begrudging respect. You know, they don't hate each other. They're just going different ways. That's really important. And then the closer we get to the end, you see the very, very palpable panic from Julia start to set in because Shuri just won't stay down. And eventually Shuri is able to grind her down. Julia has never been in this situation before. She has never been in a red belt match before. And Suri is now, for lack of a better phrase, a veteran. And she's able to rise to those moments. And there's, there is that little bit, no matter how much of a good face you put on it, there's a little bit of resentment in this match. Ultimately, both feel betrayed in their own sort of way. You, that slap exchange, for example, you can feel the emotion every single one. There is no pulled ones here. Each one means something. I mean, despite, again, despite both outwardly being fine about the impending parting, you get the impression that each feels betrayed for their own reasons. And Julia especially maybe feels intimidated by Siri. She's the leader of Donna Del Mondo. She's never held the red belt. She's never challenged for the red belt. Yet here's Siri, who is the biggest star in the company at the moment. She won the five-star when it was highly touted that she was going to be the one to win it, and then she got injured. So, And then she seems to have been surpassed by Siri. So maybe there is resentment there. Maybe there is jealousy there. 
and it was a little undercurrent there. You know, we had Julius slowly and progressively start to add more things into the match, pushing the referee and then using his body as a, a launch pad to hit her shotgun dropkick. The using of the Royan after Siori used the glorious driver. There's little bits in there. And I just, I loved how brutal the match was. You know, Julia absolutely legging it at Siori and then Siori just decapitating her with one of those plexiglass bits. Brilliant. We had crunching knee strikes. We had driving lariats. We had strikes that literally at one point you heard the soul escape out of Julia's mouth. Just utterly brutal. And then, of course, it ends with almost a mirror image of the way that Suri won the red belt at Sumo Hall on December 29th. Three spinning back fists followed by the Vermilion world. And you can see Julia just deflate. There's nothing left she can give. And there's a beautiful moment. Julia hits a Northern Lights bomb, thinks it's a three count only to see Suri's hand on the rope. And you just see her world crumble. I think the facials, the emotion that both managed to weave into this match is absolutely fantastic. And I gave it four and three quarters as well. I I literally have nothing bad to say about this match. I mean, let's put it this way. The match is that good that we haven't even spoken about the fact that Suri did indeed bring her new bodyguard to ringside. Um, yes. Ami Miura yeah. of literally everywhere, including AWG, Wave, Gleet, Ice Ribbon, Diana, Sendai Girls. Um, though Siri has confided to Sonny that she's less a bodyguard and more a brand new comrade. Um, instead of her first round bye now in the Cinderella, um, Siri will now be facing Ami Miura um, in the first round. I imagine that won't break anyone's bracket. I imagine Siri will still go through. Um, Ami Miura, however, is now going to be called Ami Sarai on in stardom. So her name has changed. And she is very, very big. Whether she's the strongest ever, uh, Suri was rather ambitiously touting, I don't know, but ultimately what a fantastic match. Post-match, um, Suri basically says, that's my last night in Donna Del Mondo. I'm starting my own stable with Ami Miura. Um, I'm going to start walking my own path. Julia basically thanks her for everything up until now, says she's definitely coming back for that belt and says being a leader is a challenge i do wonder if you can handle it what a way to cap off night one matt yeah and uh to talk about the um the bodyguard i was going to text you this story but i figured ah you know what i'll save it so i get your live reaction on the uh, the podcast so i had a dream that i woke up now rob is five hours ahead of me i woke up i looked at my phone and i had a text from you and you said Hey, Matt, uh, it's uh, not a spoiler, but Julia, our series bodyguards revealed, and then you sent me a picture. It was the bodyguard was revealed to be the one-man gang. <laughs> and the fact that the bodyguard was not the one-man gang, I was, I was a little disappointed. I was a little disappointed. <laughs> Some things I'm like, I got it. And this was like a week and a half ago, and I'm like, and I, we, talk, we pretty much talk every day. We, we talk a lot, uh, which I always appreciate the conversation, but it's like, I, got, I was getting ready to tell I'm like, no, this one's got to be saved for the review. The fact that we're <laughs> on these two giant shows, I got I to gotta name drop the one-man gang. I cannot believe that the one-man gang. First Terry Funk the other week, and now the one-man gang. <laughs> yeah, then we always do a lot of Stan Hansen references as well on this Oh, podcast. of course, yeah, how can I forget? I mean, are we talking one-man gang, or are we talking Akeem the African Dream? I mean, what no, guys no. is he in? 
No, one man gang, and then I think me and you were texting each other back and forth, and then uh, you said something like, "I heard a rumor they're trying to get the rights to Jive Soul, bro." Which I'm the guy. <laughs> me and my lifelong best friend are huge fans of Slick. Like, oh god, literally, yeah. Like we'll we'll be going on a road trip to like go to like Megadeth or like you know Rob Zombie or Black Sabbath, and be like, "Hey, brother, we gotta set the mood." I'm like, "All right, man, no problem." I, and I usually drive. So I'll like hook it up to the Bluetooth and like the first song will be played would be the Honky Tonk Man's theme or Jive Soul Bro. And then here's like my 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 dad who's like the coolest dad in the world. He'll just like he'll it'll pop him. He'll be like, really, we're on our way to this like crazy metal concert and like we're listening to 1980s WWF themes. I'm like, I guess so. <laughs> Tremendous. What a weird, what a weird like reference. Um I, I genuinely don't know how he's managed to be shoehorned in, but I love it. Um <laughs> Obviously, this wasn't the end of the Stardom action. We still have another night to review. Obviously, Stardom World Climax 2022, night to the top uh, from Sunday, March 27th, 2022, from Sumo Hall, an attendance of 3,085, which is apparently a COVID sellout for the venue. Um, it outdrew the New Japan final that happened on the 27th of March at the Edian Arena Osaka, which drew just under 3,000. And it also just outdrew Wrestle Queendom, which uh, achieved 3,039. Um, overall, that means that the attendance over the two nights was 5,797, with an average attendance of 2,000. 899 people each night do you think they'll be happy with those numbers matt or do you think they'll be a little bit disappointed not to crack the six thousand? no i think though i think we talked about this podcast that they'll probably do seven eight thousand but the fact that oh you know that pretty much 3100 was a COVID sellout how can you not be uh, impressed by those numbers and I would like to see what the pay-per-view numbers are I don't know how they track that with uh, I know it's easier to do like on in the states with like direct tv or fight tv or whatever so I I was I'm interested to see you know what the pay-per-view numbers are because I'm assuming which is Kari's return these loaded cards that these have got to be one and two as far as pay-per-view buys goes and I'm I'm and I and I'm curious to see in the next two or three weeks how much the subscriptions are going up now that these two shows are on World as well. But I mean, how can you you know you're drawing close to seven thousand people back to back nights and you're out drawing you know New Japan, who's been pretty much the number one j- company in in Japan for the last you know I don't know what fifteen sixteen years. I mean, how can you not be anything but happy with those numbers? And monthly Puroresu on Twitter actually said, outside of the New Japan anniversary show, Stardom drew the largest crowd of any Puroresu event in March with Night to a World Climax. So that's an achievement in itself. Um, let's kick on then. So we open this again. We open Night 2 with another Future of Stardom Championship match. Hannon, the champion, defeating May Sakurai with the Hannon special in 6 minutes and 20 seconds. And I'm actually going to go on a limb and say this is not only May Sakurai's best singles match, but also by a distance her best singles match, Matt. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think, again, with these future stardom title matches, I think they do a really good job. It doesn't go, most of them go seven, eight minutes. They don't overstay their welcome. I think what they do is like, here's the stuff I do really good. Here's the stuff you do really good. Let's put some heat on it. Let's have a couple really good spots in the beginning to get the crowd warmed up. And then let's not, let's just, you know, let's not mess around. Just take it home. I mean, Hannon's really, really good. May Sakurai, she's still kind of tr- trying to find her place a little bit. You know, she has a new uh, fresh coat of paint on her with the heel turn going to Donald Del Mundo. 
And I know we're interested in her storyline uh, with Waka Siyama. They're doing really good with that. But I, I thought this was brilliantly booked. It did what it needed to do. Um, I think both of them looked really well. I totally agree that it's not only May Sakurai's best singles match, but it's her best match uh, by a mile. And that just goes to show really two things. One, how well she's improved over these last few months. And two, just how good Hannah is. I'm not going to say Hannah did a carry job here, but you kind of tell like, at 17, what, she's 17 years old. She, she was is. like the vet in this. She was the vet in this match. She was the one kind of leading the way here. Um, and I thought Hannon Stock really, really, uh, you know, grew really, really well in these two matches. And for at somebody at the age of 17 years old that's being coached by Hazuki and Mayu Iwatani, geez, I mean, really, there's there's no ceiling for how, how far she can go in wrestling. Completely agree with you. I really thought... Not only did Hannon carry this match very well, and she's had an extremely good run with this future belt. She's put on really good matches with Momo Kogo at Cinderella Journey in Nagoka with Lady C. Um, her title defense, uh, ta- winning the title against Ruaka, sorry, was really good. Her match against Rina and now a match against Mei Sakurai have all been solid. I thought all of the transitions here were brilliant. Even May, I thought May had a confidence in this match that she really lacked in singles matches before. She didn't seem to be going slowly. She didn't seem to be waiting for spots. She seemed to be ready. She seemed to be quick. She seemed to be aggressive in her strikes. Overall, it was a really, really good match for both women. And even though May Sakurai didn't win, which I think both of us predicted, she still came out looking very, very good. Now, Hannon obviously defended against one of her sisters on night one. And her second sister, Hina, came out to challenge her big sister for the belt. Now, Hina has been away from wrestling for a while to focus on um, school. She's back now. She's in the Cinderella. She's grown about three foot. She's in, she's massive now, longer hair, um, looks great. She's come back and said, I am going after that belt, champion, if that's all right with you. There's no handshake at the end, but it makes sense that Hannon would defend against her other sister, having just defended against Rena. Now, that is a match that I am looking forward to simply because it seems like ages since we saw Hina wrestle, Matt. I've never seen Hina wrestle before, and I just want to say that I think it's a, a piss-poor excuse for you to miss time for wrestling to further your education. What the <laughs> hell's that? No, I'm talking to the educator on the other line here. How dare you try and better here. yourself educationally? <laughs> What's wrong with you? You could learn. You could learn much on the road, brother. You know, just put you in a car with Dick Murdoch. Huh? <laughs> Dick Murdoch reference. Holy jeez. Good grief! Yeah. You are determined <laughs> to just shoehorn as many of these as you can in, aren't you? I don't. Yeah, I don't have any of this written down in my notes. But yeah, I, like I said, I've never seen uh, seen uh, Hina wrestle before, and. Uh, She's in what Queen's Quest, right? She is indeed. They're up to six yeah. members now. Yeah, it went from three to six in a blink of an eye. Look out, I might join. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it, it'll be interesting to see. It just seems like the sisters have really, really good chemistry together. And again, the three of them, that young, that good. Huh. I mean, that, that if that doesn't have a feel-good moment, artist of stardom title reign on it in the next two or three years, I don't know what does. Absolutely. Um, I, I gave this three stars again. Again, really good performance from both women, Matt. I was three and a quarter. We then got more news, yet more stardom shows being announced. June 26th, 
will be fight in the top 2022 from the Aichi Prefecture in Nagoya, the International Conference Center. Sorry, Nagoya in the Aichi Prefecture is what I meant. Um, And basically... I mean, it's just relentless with these shows. We've got even more big shows. I think the maximum attendance that the Nagoya International Conference Center has had, I think Dragon Gate drew about 4,000 there in 2007, but it tends to be between, at the moment, especially more recently, between 1,100 and 2,000. So... I don't know what in particular we're looking at, but even so, I imagine that's going to be great. And obviously, of course, that's a homecoming for Tam. So she missed that one in January, didn't she? So that should yeah, be great. Yeah, Let's move on then to the Cinderella Rumble, which was won by Gato Moves May Segura, winning the Cinderella Rumble by last eliminating Miyu Amasaki in 25 minutes and 24 seconds. Now, I am going to say, with the significant lack of Kikataro, this was significantly better than the Rumble at Budokan, Matt. Other than uh, no Yuzuki Akawa in this in this match, it went by a lot faster. You said it, went, it was over twenty minutes. It, it it seemed like it was like this was like fifteen. Um, it just seemed I think would because people coming out almost like in stables. Yeah, you know? that was that was something yeah. a little bit different that I noticed actually. Aside from Emi Sakura, uh, who simply just bought out the entire of Gato move at the Budokan. Um, yeah, they seem to all come out in stables, which absolutely it made it go by a lot quicker. All stars came out at the same time. All the just tap out members came out at the same time. I think it was far better. It was far similar, far more similar to how AEW does the casino battle Royal with the actual suits and more wrestlers come in at once, which, you know, there's no downtime then is there, which is good. Yeah. Now that again, no disrespect to anybody in this match. Nobody paid to see this match. Nobody paid to see the pineapple girl, which I thought really got a good pop in my house. Like, we're like, what the heck is this? Because I figured there were going to be some surprises, and I was hoping it would have been, you know, Yuzuki or Yoko Bido. Obviously, we didn't get that, but that was a okay. I wasn't, I didn't throw anything at my TV because there was no Yoko Bito. But uh, uh, I don't really don't have any notes for this match because I kind of just don't know really kind of what to put. I didn't give it a star rating. Everybody worked hard. It was entertaining. It went by fast. Um, you know, nobody looked really, really bad. But obviously, uh, sets up an, an important match. You know, coming in the future, which we'll talk about soon. Yeah, there's not a great deal to talk about, to be perfectly honest. It it was fine. I thought Yunagi had another great showing. In fact, it looked for a brief moment that she was going to win back-to-back rumbles before she was eliminated by Amasaki. Um, I thought, I, um, I had this. I bloody had this. I owe No, I had it. Come on. I can do this. You got it. Ayoi. Garlic oh. Garlic Aoi. Garlic Aoi. Oh. That's is how it? I do it. You got it. You got it. I think you got it. Oh. The girl from Just Tap Out. I'm so annoyed at myself because I practiced this on the way home in the car. <laughs> I, Aoi. Can you imagine? It's Aoi. It's Aoi. I'm sure it is. It's Aoi. She was great. Folks, oh, hold on. Time out. I got to cut you off here, brother. I don't like doing this. Can you imagine? <laughs> You're stopped at a red light, and all of a sudden you see Rob going, I owie, I owie, I owie. They'd be like, what is he, a baby saying, I got an owie? Like, can you imagine that? I think it's owie. Do you know what? I'm just going to go it, with it. It is, it, it is now. Yeah, irrelevant. Um, Jesus. 
good God, what is my life? Um, yeah, I thought she looked really, really good. Um, obviously, Mesa Rugger, who... Mesa Gura, sorry. Um, who... No, Mesa Rugger. I said it wrong the first time. There we go. Who I know a lot of people are very, very, very high on, and she's very, very popular. Don't know a great deal about her, if I'm being perfectly honest, apart from the fact that she'll be challenging for a title later on in the show. Um, again, you were right. Miyu Amasaki had another great showing and looked very, very good. There seems to be a lot of shine to Amasaki at the moment, which is really, really good. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And um, Sakura, I've seen her a handful in AEW and AEW Dark, so uh, I'm a, she will have an excellent match with Azumi. I have no doubt about that. Let's move on then to the second of our Golden Generation singles matches with Utami Hayashista defeating Mirai in 11 minutes and 22 seconds, making a tap out with a sleeper hold. Were you a little bit surprised at the ending of this match, Matt? I was, and it kind of like abruptly came out of nowhere. But I will tell you this, Mr. Rob Goodwin, I have three bread and butter submission holds that I go to, the Fujiwara armbar, the double wrist lock, and the rear naked choke. And we saw two of the three in the Mirai matches. So that uh, that was a thumbs up for me. But I thought this was really good. There's good technical wrestling to start, and then they went to their striking, which we know, know we would go to. There's no hit lariats on this one. It was kind of just like, well, we hit our lariat... Uh, uh, our, our lariat uh, momentum, excuse me, my, my what's the word I'm looking for? Our lariat limit, our lariat limit in the last <laughs> Mariah. So, I mean, they went for it, but I thought there'd be three or four lariats here. Um, I thought you, Tommy, I thought this was a really good match. Don't get me wrong. I thought maybe she could have set up the rear naked choke a little better, maybe hitting a German suplex or maybe the hijack bottom, like maybe do a little more neck, neck work, uh, maybe the air raid crash. But I mean, it made sense. It was there. I wish they would have gotten a little bit more time. But considering this, this match was only the uh, the third match of the show, and we just had a twenty some minute rumble, uh, I can kind of see why it got cut for time. I hope they do a rematch somewhere down the future, where maybe they get a couple more minutes. Um, but yeah, it was good. It was solid. I had it at three and a half stars. Completely agree. Three and a half stars. Um... I love the fact that it was different to the Sayurida match. I did like the fact that they were concentrating more on submissions and um, grappling at the start. And then obviously you still had the hard hitting moments, but I did like the fact that it was so different from the Sayurida match because it shows a different side to Mirai, which, you know, as she is part of this golden generation, they are clearly exceptionally high on her. Uh, to give her a singles match against Utami for a start, you know, the ex-Red Belt champion is obviously a huge rub in of itself. Um, but overall, aside from it being a rather abrupt ending, um, which, don't get me wrong, I, I didn't hate by any stretch of the imagination. I just, I think it was just from a purely selfish standpoint. I just wanted to see a little bit more from it. Um, I did think Mirai targeting Utami's neck, her shoulder, and then her left knee was really good. I just wish it had gone somewhere. But no, three and a half stars, a really, really, really solid undercard singles match. And one, again, I hope we get to see. I mean, if all these women from the golden generation are here in, you know, two or three years' time, good grief, stardom is in exceptionally good hands. Match four, then. Different generation. This is the generation of destiny, apparently. Um, the generation of destiny singles match with Momo Watanabe, defeating Hazuki with the Peach Sunrise in 12 minutes and 19 seconds. It is not a good weekend to be Hazuki, Matt. Well, I mean, if you're looking for really good matches, then it is, and new gear. But as far as win-loss, no, not at all. But I thought this was tremendous. You know, we talked about on the Momo Watanabe uh, 
white belt retrospective of that that her title uh, challenge against Momo was my favorite Hazuki match of all time. This one wasn't far off. This was exactly what it needed to be. They started off with some stiff foreign exchange. A Weedo tie interferes uh, to basically get a little bit of heat on Suzuki. Suzuki winds up firing back, and the boot scrapes that she gives Momo are just, they're in there. They're in there, man. She's trying to scrape uh, you know, poor Momo's face off with it. Hazuki uh, winds up getting back on Momo. She used a lot of like almost like high speed offense to kind of get the advantage, but Momo counters with kicks. Shocker! Uh, we kind of knew that was going to happen, and by no means am I complaining. There's one really cool spot where Hazuki was on Momo, and she went to the top rope, and Momo almost like springboard a little bit off the bottom rope and kicked Hazuki right in the throat. I thought that was very well placed, very well timed, and it looked brutal. And then she gets the Uranagi off the second rope. Uh, it was a really good false finish that I bit on with a Hazuki Shaw Cradle. I mean, she gets that in there really, really tight. Uh, I thought the finish came off really well, though, because we have not seen the back-to-back. We talked about it a lot last week, didn't we, brother? We the did. back-to-back. Yeah, Tequila Sunrise and the Peach Sunrise for the finish. And I was really, really hoping that uh, that she would finish off with that combo. And it was a nice little callback to a lot of stuff we watched from 2018 and 2019. This was solid. It did what it needed to do. Again, this is a match that I would like to see again with a little bit more time. I understand why it only got 12 minutes, but they packed a lot in here. Uh, this was four stars for me. Absolutely solid. Absolutely loved it. And I'm going to go on on a limb that this is the best. Uh, we see back these, these two matches are Momo's two best matches we've probably seen since the five-star final. Oh, easily. Yeah, completely agree with that. My big question going into this, I gave it three and three-quarter stars. I thought the match itself was brilliant. There's the moment where um, Hazuki runs up Momo and she flips her into the bastard driver before finishing off with the Peach Sunrise. I've loved that closing segment. I love the renewed aggression that we talked about um, with Hazuki before. That one forearm that she throws to Momo that just wipes her out is beautiful. But the thing a lot of people are going to be asking is, where does Hazuki go from here? She's 0-2 against Momo over the weekend. She's yet to get revenge for the 29th when Momo turned on her, and now she's without tag gold as well, just basically existing in stars. Now, does she stop Momo in the five-star to get a little bit of momentum back? Does she go for the white belt? Um, you know, Sayakamatani versus Hazuki. Obviously, there's a story with Hazuki and the white belt. Hazuki never having held the white belt has gone for it multiple times against Orisa, against Momo, never been able to get it. Does she get consumed with frustration and turn heel? You know, it seems to be what people in stars do. I can see that working, but also, Matt, where do you think she goes from here? You know, I just happen to have sometimes me being lazy uh, works itself out. I have the brackets literally right in front of me here for um, the Cinderella. And there's a possibility that Hazuki and Momo might meet each other. So maybe she gets her revenge there. Not that I want to rebook this because then we'll be here until tomorrow. Um, mm-hmm. I think, and I talked about it before uh, in previous episodes, I think she'll get a couple wins, build herself back up. Ultimately, where I think this is going is the uh, Artists of Stardom tag titles for Mayu, uh, Koguma, and Hazuki. I think that's where they're going to go. I think that, um, like Angels, but then the next defense is against the Stars team. I think that's what they're going to do. I think she loses, you know, her and Koguma lose these belts, and then uh, I don't think it's long before they win the Artists of Stardom titles. I think that's where they're going to go. And then it just puts more stock. You have more star power. You know, no disrespect to my Himipoi, but there's a lot more star power in a team of Mayu Iwatani, Hazuki, and Koguma. I think that's I think that's where they're going to go. And I think as well, we are going to be seeing less Mayu in the main event after the after the main event of this show. So you know, giving her the 
artist of stardom belts is at least something to do and you've still got you know a belt on her Let's move on then. The High Speed Championship Triple Threat is next, with Azumi the Champion defeating and retaining over Natsupoi and Koguma with the Azumi Sushi in 8 minutes and 10 seconds. High Speed Chaos this match. Maybe, for me, not quite as good as the Triple Threat at Tokyo Super Wars, but still a really, really good um, sort of advert for the belt, Matt. What did you think? I have, here are my notes, literally word for word. And this is not being late, me being lazy. High speed title match, just too much action, too fast for me to call or make notes. Lots of really cool three way pinfalls. Azumi Sushi for the win on Natsupoi, excellent. Uh, if you like high speed wrestling, go out of your way to see this. Four stars. I, I, really, I mean, I don't know how you can take notes on something that moves that fast. Yeah, I, I agree. I like the uh, the previous one with the Starlight Kid, and it's just a little bit better. For the minority of people that were complaining that the high-speed title match between Azumi and Starlight Kid and Starlight Kid and Natsupoi weren't weren't high-speed matches because they slowed it down a little bit and drug it out, then this is the match for you because this was non-stop. And how long did this go? Like six, seven minutes? Eight minutes, I believe. Eight minutes oh. and ten seconds. Yeah, and you can see, I mean, obviously these three competitors are in fantastic shape, but you can see that after Azumi gets the pinfall, you can see her, her her stomach really breathing a little bit heavier to try to get more oxygen in because she was she was gassed because she did a majority of the work here. And again, it's literally like you're driving your car 140 miles an hour for eight minutes. You're going to drain that gas tank pretty quick. Uh, yeah, this was this was fantastic. This is exactly you know what the the high speed division you know, you know is noted for completely different this match is completely different than any of the other 16 matches on these two cards you know 17 matches on the two cards this one's completely different and it stood out because it was like okay it's going to go 8 minutes but don't blink because there wasn't a dull moment at all in this match and i was a little shocked that Natsupoi you know took the pinfall here on this one but uh you know hopefully maybe that sets for a sets up for a one on one rematch somewhere down the line but we will see but i thoroughly enjoyed this I do have a quick question. And what you got? Don't think that I want to get rid of the high speed belt. I don't. But it seems that aside from Natsupoi Kagama, Starlight Kid, and Azumi, there's no one to challenge for that belt. And it seems that we've seen some combination of those four women challenging or holding the belt since. I've been watching, with the exception of the odd uh, um, introduction of Fukukin Death. Do we need to bring in some fresh blood like they are doing? You know, um, Azumi says she wants to challenge someone else for the match, brings out the winner of the Cinderella uh, Rumble, May Saruga, who has an official challenges for the belt. But aside from bringing in outside talent, we have four people that can that have challenged for that belt. Do you think? Well, we go on. No, I, I, I'm sorry. Uh, it's basically answer your question. I mean, we've kind of noticed that in uh, some of these six and eight person tag matches that they have that they're. It looks like Momokogo. They're kind of grooming her. She's working a faster pace. Uh, even Waka sometimes with like those really fast roll ups. You can kind of put her in there from time to time. If you know, obviously, if they they, they build her a certain way. Uh, yeah, they do need more people in there because it's basically just Starlight Kid, Koguma, Natsupoi, and Izumi. And we're presumably thinking that Starlight Kid's being shot off the roster to at least a you know, white belt, red belt uh, main event status. And it's only a matter of time before Izumi gets there because I think we both think that. you know, If they announce today that a uh, uh, series next title offense is against Izumi, I don't think me and you are going to complain one bit at all. Or Asaya's next white belt offense is against Izumi. We wouldn't complain one bit at all. 
But yeah, I see your point. There's not a lot of people there. So maybe you bring in some outside talent or you start building up some of the the, the younger talent. Uh, and there's a lot of younger talent. Be like, look, we don't really have a, a dead spot for you. So because uh, they're so sorry, just lo- the roster is just loaded. So let's get them, you know, build them to a high speed match and feed them to a zoomie. And they're only going to get better by wrestling a zoomie, whether it's a win, 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 lose or draw situation. These, you know, Momokogo, uh, you know, Hannah Arena, they're only going to get better by working with somebody in a Zoomie. And you give them seven, eight minutes in a high-speed match and, you know, a title match, whether it's, you know, semi-main on the show, you're putting your newer, younger talent in a bigger spotlight. So I think that's what they should do, and I think that's ultimately what they're going to do. I don't think they're going to get rid of the high-speed title, though. No, I don't either. It was just, um, it was something I'd seen bandied about. I just wanted to get your... uh your take on it and also let's not forget Mio Amasaki as well is she's done training with Azumi so it would make sense for her to go into that room into that sort of area as well let's move on then to our pirate princess stardom revival Kairi defeating Starlight Kid with the insane elbow 17 minutes and 51 seconds um Kyrie enters with an army of Grim Reapers who perform a really cool synchronized dance. Um, is this foreshadowing to the fate of Starlight Kid at the end of the match? Yes, because Kyrie wins and Kyrie wins comprehensively. Not only that, but by the end of the match, Starlight Kid is busted open and Kyrie has burst her eardrum. So uh, a hard hitting match, Matt. Welcome back to stardom. <laughs> uh, I, I thought this was, you know, kind of piggybacking off what you said on the tag match with Starlight Kid. I thought this was funny that they, you know, got in the ring. They both go on the top rope to get the crowd involved. Obviously, they didn't need to because the crowd was already there. But the fact that Starlight Kid was channeling, you know, Robert Gibson, Ricky Morton a little bit uh, didn't matter. But I thought it was really cool that as soon as their feet hit the ground, hit the canvas, they ran right at each other and a, another re- a tight lockup between the two. So that just, you know, showed the importance of the intensity of this this uh, going into it. Uh, Starlight Kid, uh, pretty much right from the get-go, uses some of that high-speed offense to take advantage of Kari. Kari winds up still to the outside and... Uh, uh, Starlight Kid hits this beautiful uh, pitcher perfect the Asai Moonsault. Uh, they wind up going back and forth. A lot of heat on Kari. Selling really well, making Starlight Kid look really, really good. Not that it takes much. I was a big fan that she brought back the uh, the double foot stomp when Starlight Kid was hanging off the off the corner. I thought that was really cool. She winds up to create separation, hits this disgusting spinning back fist. Oh boy, did she catch it with that one. And then they go into a slap exchange and I actually watched this match twice because I found out after the fact that uh, Kari burst her eardrum, so I wanted to see where it happened. And you can plainly tell when Starlight, his Kari hits a uh, Starlight Kid with a really big strike. Starlight Kid shakes it up and slaps Kari right in the ear and just buckles her. You can tell that wasn't a sell that she was buckled. And God bless Kari, she went another four or five minutes with with, with that busted eardrum. So I thought that was excellent. Um, some really good near falls. The Black Tiger Driver for a close two. Nice to uh, have some roll ups back and forth. Kari winds up hitting another spinning back fist, Alabama slam, and then the insane elbow for the pinfall win. I had this at four and a half stars. And before I pitch it over to you, sir, I have a question. Do you think Kari coming back, uh, you know, her getting her first singles win here, do you think it's a damper on her, the fact that her finisher, she used another member of the stardom roster finisher to win here? I swear to God, if you mention Mace Sakurai's diving elbow drop. <laughs> I was, I've been waiting on that one for three or four days. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Uh, I, made, I made a point of not mentioning that during her match. 
I was waiting on that one as long as the one man gang one. Oh man! <laughs> um, genuinely, I thought this match was great. Uh, I thought Starlight Kid was the perfect foil for Kyrie here. Worked really well. Sold really well. Fought dirty. Was a good person to for us to get behind Kyrie. You know, we hate the heel Starlight Kid. We, you know, she is for all intents and purposes a brat that we want to see get her comeuppance, and she's really good at playing that. Kyrie, you know. As well, Starlight Kid working the arm uh, takes the insane elbow and the cutlass out of action as well. And But Kyrie doing some tremendous work on Starlight Kid's back. Some of those high-angle Boston Crabs, Jesus Christ, they were cinched in tight. Yeah, that, that one anchor that she had in there. And I was at first I was like, wow, Kyrie's going to go over with a submission finisher. I'm like, that's cool. That's I mean, she's won matches with that before. I think she's beaten... EO and one of the five stars back and I think either uh, 14 or 15 but um, I was like oh wow you know that adds, adds a wrinkle to her game that you know they she's got the backfish she's got the insane elbow and now she's going to go over with the uh, with the anchor but you know obviously Starlight Kid fought out of that but yeah you're right that angle on that thing did not look comfortable at all oh no and you can tell by the screams of Starlight Kid that that thing hurt it hurt a lot um, one thing I did note before in the video package before this match I loved the little flashback to Kyrie's leaving show and Starlight Kid in, you know, her very young face persona sort of getting really emotional about Kyrie leaving. And then we fast forward four or five years and we're here. And I thought that was really cool that we had that moment. And then at the end, after Kyrie's wiped Starlight out with the insane elbow, you know, they begrudgingly shake hands and then Kyrie pulls her in for that hug. I thought that was a really good way to finish this match. I gave it four stars. I really, really, really enjoyed it. We got the insane elbow finish. We didn't get on night one where here all the focus is on Kyrie. Really, really loved it. Really, really, really enjoyed it. And to me, puts to bed any doubt at all that Kyrie wasn't ready for a comeback in ring. I thought she was brilliant here. And not only in the way that she wrestled, but also in what she gave to Tam and to Starlight Kid here. Really, really good work. Yeah. We then move on to match seven, which was the eight-woman tag team match. The Donna Del Mondo team of Julia Himikatekla and Micah defeating the prominence team of Suzu Suzuki, Risa Sara, Moki Miyagi, and the Kana Fujita when Julia pinned Miyagi with the Northern Lights bomb in 16 minutes and three seconds. We both predicted prominence to win. And now looking back on it, of course... DDM are going to win. Of course, Julia is going to win. You want to extend this feud. You want to build on it. It's, you know, we all want that eventual Julia and Suzu Suzuki match. And Julia wrestled, bearing in mind what prominence do, Julia wrestled like such a heel in this match. And again, I'm going to plug those promos that are on the Stardom Twitter channel that have been translated into English. And the two conflicting sides of the same story is great. Julia basically going, ah, oh, we weren't that close in Ice Ribbon. And then um, Suzu Suzuki coming out with photos and them basically being best friends and sisters. And I just love that they both got this very, very different idea of the very same thing. Loved it. And the fact that you can see Julia being an absolute terror to Suzu Suzuki. Those headbutts, Matt, good 
grief. I get uncomfortable with headbutts like that because obviously of what happened to Shibata. But the one that Julia delivers with that dull thunk onto Suzu Suzuki's head, horrendous. Um, Love the start where DDM rushed the ring, clear everyone apart from Suzu Suzuki so that Julia and Suzuki can stand across from each other. I thought that was a fantastic opening. And altogether, I actually really, really, really enjoyed this match, Matt. Yeah, that was a really good fin- really good start. And I, I kind of just want to you know, make mention of where I was watching this in real time. Obviously, I watched the show ha- you know, some hours after it happened because I was away at my catch wrestling uh, seminar. So what had happened was I was watching this match and I was about a minute in and I felt my wave of tired hit me. And I was like, oh, this is where I'm going to crash. Uh, just because I was absolutely exhausted. I'm like, I still got the, the last two matches to go. And then the next thing I know, I woke up and I saw Tam's entrance. And you know me and my love for Tam. So just thinking all my glory that I was, that when I opened up my eyes, the first thing I saw was Tam Nakano. But uh, neither <laughs> here nor there. Yeah, I went back and watched this match, and this match was really good. And yeah, we both were pretty sure that Prominence was going to win just to set everything up. But the way this match was built, it makes sense because this was, for all intents and purposes, the Julia show, you know, we talked about uh, Tekla in the tag match the night before. Maybe she got her bell rung a little bit with that headbutt. And I really think that she did because she really didn't do too much here. I thought maybe they might have thought she had a concussion or maybe she just wasn't 100 percent. So they kind of wanted to protected her. Everything she did make sense. We did get uh, a lot of lariat sandwiches from the team of Mike and Himika, which is always good. But really, this was just kind of the Julia show. I mean, she was in this match like 80% for the DDM team. But yeah, it was a really smart way to start where it was kind of like Julia was like the captain of the ship and she was probably like, take everybody out so I can get Suzuki in the ring alone. I was a big fan of, uh, you know, as the match was you know really building to the crescendo with the two of them smacking each other. And the Suzu Suzuki grabs Julia by her braids and just keeps slapping, slapping, slapping. And you know Julia's going to come back. I mean, she's getting hit really hard with these slaps. You know that she's going to come back. And she just takes Suzuki down with this really good double leg. And then she pulls guard, which I don't know why you'd want to pull guard. But then uh, she puts her in this, like, really crazy uh, arm submission. And then she gets, like, the double arm bars. And she was cranking that thing in really well. The point was, like, I was looking at Suzuki's face. And I was like, I don't know how much is that is worth or how much is that is that is that shoot. But that thing was in really, really tight. Um you know, you would see some brawling on the outside, which we thought we would get. Eventually, Mike and him could come in. They clean house again. And then uh, Julia just basically just, you know, goes into, like, superpower mode and winds up getting the finish with the Northern Lights bomb. Uh, I thought, again, this was a really good way that Julia was kind of broken down a little in the title match. Even though with the good showing, it was a big loss. And this was the perfect way to build her back up. But just, like, the last three or four minutes, I'm like, how did we not see this? How did not? How did we not see that they were going to give Julia a big win here? And I was kind of like, when I went back and watched the next day, I even wrote that in my notes. And once again, Mrs. Turner came in. She was like, "How did you not know that Julia wasn't going to get a big win here?" She's like, "Didn't did, what did Rob say? Rob said Julia was going to go in, right?" And I'm like, "No, we both had prominence winning. <laughs> she uh, she saw she saw we didn't as as per usual. So uh, solid. This is really good. It did what it needed to do. It uh, basically built Julia back up, and obviously it's going to build towards the singles match, which uh, is going to be a big big deal. Three and three fourth stars for me." I gave it four and a quarter. Really, really enjoyed it. And not just the Julia and Suzu Suzuki exchanges, which, you know, you mentioned those slaps from Suzu Suzuki. You felt her pain in every single one of those slaps. But also, I thought Himika looked fantastic. I thought Micah looked great. Tekla, there was no 
playing to the crowd. There was no comedy. There was no overselling everything. There was no toxic spider before the spear. She meant business in this match for the limited time she was in there. And even that added to the aura and seriousness of this match. I really, really enjoyed that. Um, post-match, Julia and Tekla actually said that they wanted, they were interested in going after the Goddess of Stardom Championships. And actually, that's been made official recently. Um, that will happen on April the 10th at the Osaka show. So it'll be Julia and Tekla of Donna Del Mondo against Black Desire. So that's something to look forward to after the first round of the Cinderella. Semi-main then. The Wonder of Stardom Championship match. Saya Kamatani, the champion, defeating Tam Nakano with a pinfall reversal in 21 minutes and 10 seconds. Goodness gracious me, Matt. Yeah, um, I wonder if the two of them thought, they maybe talked to somebody that owned the building and thought like, hey, they have really good insurance here. Let's try to get hurt so we can do, you know, let's get <laughs> the owner of this building. Holy jeez, you know, we talked about the high-speed match was something different. We've seen these two, you know, at the end of the year at uh, Dream Queendom, where Saya won the belt. They went at each other, uh, you know, 100 miles an hour. And that, that this was like this with the violent and the, the violence and the spots turned up. Um, this match had a nice build. You know, they start out with some nice technical rest, and they do some nice monkey flips. Everything looks really well. You're going to have a nice match. And then it spills to the outside. And then it gets absolutely crazy. Uh, I did like Tam threw some new submissions and some new wrinkles to her game. So hopefully that's something that we see. But that top rope hurricane on the outside, when Saya was setting that up, I was like, there's no way she's taking that. There's no there's no way she's taking that. And then you can kind of see where Tam is placed on the ropes where she has her knees bent. And I was like, she's in position to take that. And I thought, okay, maybe all the members of Cosmic Angels and some of the members of Queen Quest are out there, and she's gonna, they're going to wind up catching her. So she's just kind of almost like taking like a helo bump. She took that thing flat on the outside. And folks, I don't care how many mats you have out there. That stuff hurts. That stuff sucks. And then, as if there wasn't enough damage, Saya goes for the Star Crusher on the outside. Tam counters it, and she basically, you know, uh, flips over her. She gives her a schoolboy, and then she hits the violent shooting as they start brawling on their way to the outside. And then the members of Queen's Quest and Cosmic Angels come out just so Tam can do her best New Jack impersonation and do a dive from the freaking entrance. Holy jeez. Like, like, we're, like when you saw that, Rob, we were just like, really? Like, like, like this, is, this is how crazy this is getting? She just kept going. She just yeah. kept... I mean, did she not know what happened to New Japan with Kota Ibushi? <laughs> like, does she not know what happens when people jump off balconies? Yeah, didn't didn't the the match from I think it was 2012 in Budokan with Kenny Omega and Kota Ibushi didn't wrestling get banned from, not just DDT I think wrestling got banned from Budokan for like four or five years and considering in fact how much money wrestling has made that venue that's saying something exactly exactly <laughs> it's a good job it was a uh, lot safer <laughs> yeah it, I mean it was it was but that was true that was something um. I like the fact that she hit the Star Crusher and then she went for the Phoenix Splash, a little kind of, uh, hey, this is how I beat you, Tommy, the night before. I'm going to do the same way to uh, beat Tam, and then she just eats it. Uh, two violent shootings, Tiger Driver for a near fall, um, Twilight Dream, uh, she, she can't follow up with, but then she winds up hitting the violent screwdriver. Um, Tam wind up getting countered the European Clutch. You know, Sai brought that back. I thought that was really good. I thought the finish was great. Because the finish was pretty much the exact finish of Misawa's first really big singles win 
over Jumbo Sharuda from the early 90s of All Japan. I'm talking a lot of All Japan here, and uh, rightfully so. I thought that was great because it was just she went for basically a back suplex, and she got countered, floated over, and then uh, Saya wind up lining on top, wind up lying on top and then was able to hold her down enough for a three count. I thought this was great. My question to you, sir, is this the best Saya, com- Saya match you've ever seen? And was it better than their match where she beat Tam for the title at Dream Queendom? I had this at four and three-fourths stars, which is exactly what I gave their match back in December. I will answer your question by saying that I gave this match five stars. Wow. I absolutely loved this match. It was a sprint. Just the dynamic and the chemistry that these two women have, irrelevant of if it's a mentor versus mentee dynamic, these two just get each other. They had a little bit of a misfire in July last year. Their match at Dream Queen and was excellent. This was even better. You had the high points of that bloody Frankensteiner from Sire. You had the ridiculous moment when Tam goes to the top row, top top of the balcony, sorry, and launches herself up there. But then in ring, that closing stretch is up there with one of the best closing stretches I've seen in stardom. Absolutely perfectly done. And this cements Sire, as I said on night one, this cements Saya as one of the best workers in stardom at the moment. She is having such a great run. This is my favorite Tam match. That close count, that 2.999 count from that violet screwdriver, tremendous. And the fact that Saya sells like, you know, a rubber doll at times. So when Tam's hitting those violet shootings, she's flip-flopping all over the ring. I just felt the chemistry in each move i just felt invested in the entire thing five stars love the match my match of the two nights um overall what a weekend for saya kamatani what a fantastic weekend matt yeah how could, there were so many wrestlers that came out of this so much better i mean and we'll talk about it here when we get to the end because i want to know who your mvp is of these two nights, and there isn't any wrong answer other than maybe you saying the lady dressed up as a pineapple in the Rumble. But then again, it's your opinion. If that's who you tell me it is, God bless you. <laughs> but, uh, uh, yeah, just a, a absolutely great weekend for Saya Kamatani, and that leads us to the final match. It does indeed. The World of Stardom Championship match, the closing match of the weekend, Suri the champion defeating Mayu Iwatani with a modified white tiger via referee stoppage in 28 minutes and 57 seconds. Now, this has been quite divisive online. Um, people, I've seen people split. I've seen some people saying it wasn't as brutal as they'd have hoped and that the middle part was unnecessarily sluggish or that, you know, they weren't, they were unhappy with the finish. Now, I can understand all these points. However, I have my own opinion, but I know that Matt, you have your own thoughts. So I'll let you go first before I, uh, before I say my piece. Sure. Yeah. I know we talked about this uh, yesterday when we were texting back and forth. Cause I was, cause usually we're pretty much on point on uh, what we, and you know, the star ratings of this match. And I'm just going to go and this is, this was my match of the, uh, of the night of the two nights. This was five stars for me. And I'll tell you the reason why the psychology, this match was, Pretty simple. Mayu's trying to hit the moonsault on Sherry, and Sherry's going after Mayu's, n- n- her leg, her knee, so she can't get there. So now, 
I'm going to try to put in perspective where I was watching this match. So you're getting towards the closing sequence. Mayu finally hits Sherry with the moonsault. She can't cover her because of her knee. We've seen this a thousand times. It's simple wrestling psychology. When it's done by two fantastic performers like Sherry and Mayu, it makes it even better. So then she goes to the top rope for another time, for a second moonsault. We've seen this a thousand times, and I talk all the time. I just talked about how much my favorite wrestling era is All Japan 90s, The King's Road. And one of the many reasons why is because they have these long, drawn-out finishes where it's going back and forth, and you don't know where it's going to go. And sometimes they would have these eight- or nine-minute finishes where you don't even know that eight or minutes, eight or nine minutes went by because you're so invested on the edge of your seat. So we see Mayu going for the second moonsault, and I'm thinking in my head she's going to miss because she took so much time. Sherry's going to hit the final flurry, and she's going to wind up getting the win. No problem. This match was great. Mayu hits the second moonsault. I was couldn't believe it. Now, let's pause that for two seconds. Put yourself in my perspective. You guys, everyone know where I was this past weekend. I spent nine hours in my car driving back and forth to my uh, catch wrestling seminar and the better part of 12 hours getting my ass handed to me and stretched out. It is past midnight in my house. Nobody is awake. I just told you I fell asleep about an hour before the uh, co-main event or an hour before uh, going into the co-main event. I'm literally start yelling, cover her, Mayu, cover her. I wasn't pulling for anybody in this match. I just wanted a really good match that makes the red belt look better, makes Stardom look better. I'm literally on the edge of my seat at midnight after literally just getting my ass kicked for two straight days on the edge of my seat, literally yelling at my TV for a match that just happened five hours prior for Mayu to get on top of Sherry to cover her because I think that this is the finish. And it's not. And they wind up going back and forth again. Mayu tries for the two-stage Dagon suplex. And we've seen a lot of people counter it or get out of it. But the fact that Shuri was just in, like, the first stage of the two-stage Dragon suplex for just, like, a second longer than we would see, like, an Eo or a Tamin, I was like, she's going to hit it. She's going to hit it. She's going to win the belt. She eventually gets out of it, hits the big knee. She gets hit. She hits Mayu with the ruin. Mayu kicks out at one. Holy jeez. I'm, again, I'm exhausted. I'm beat up. I can barely move my neck. But I'm on the edge of my seat. Watching this like an all Japan match from the 90s. So, Siri winds up hitting the big final flurry. She hits the two spin, uh, two or three spin back fist, and she picks her up for the Vermilion World. And I thought, okay, great match. This has got to be the finish. This is what she's been going through since she, you know, since she's won the red belt. Mayu slips out and she schoolboys her. And Rob, the first thing that first thought in my head was, has there ever been a red belt title change on a flash finish, flash pin, which I don't think there was, but I thought that was it. I thought that was the finish. Eventually, Sherry gets out, puts her in the white tiger, and then the ref winds up calling for the bell. I understand people's, they didn't think it was good as I did, but for the fact of where I was, how exhausted and beat up I was, and for how late in the day it was, I was on the edge of my seat for the last seven or eight minutes of this match, reminded me. Of when I in 96, 97, 98, when I would get a tape, yes, a tape, not a DVD, of these all Japan matches with Misawa, Kawada, Kabashi, Akiyama, Tawa, yada, yada, yada. I was on the edge of my seat watching that last six or seven minutes. And for that, and that reason alone is why it was five stars and why I thought it was the best match of the weekend. Fantastic rundown, brother. Um, for me, 
there's lots of positives to take from this match. I mean, you've got to think about the story that's going into this. You know, I said it before in the preview that this is where the entire series arc started. That match at Yokohama Cinderella where she couldn't beat Mayu. And this match shows how much Shuri's grown since Yokohama Cinderella, but also shows how Mayu relies on her own resiliency and ability to absorb. However, fairly early on in this match, you notice that Mayu begins to doubt herself and she's beginning to hit moves, not to pin, but rather to create distance because it's the only way she's starting to see that her only way of not losing is to last the full time limit. She knows very early on that there's very little chance that she's going to be able to beat Suri here. The moment, Mayu, it's two moonsaults, but the damage done to her leg is too much, is the moment she knows she's in trouble. You can see it etched in her face. She's got nothing left to give. Now, I mentioned that people have been split about this match, and one of the other things I've seen is that they don't like this emotionally detached Suri. And I want to talk about that in a moment. Now, I can understand all the points that I talked about before. Mayu proved that she can absorb Suri's strikes and everything she threw throw at her in the match at Yokohama Cinderella when Suri lost. So this change of tack makes perfect sense in targeting the leg to take out Mayu's speed and athleticism. <laughs> Secondly, the night before, Suri and Julia had just had a bomb fest of a match. Surely you want to see something different on the second night as opposed to just another bomb fest. I thought the storytelling was outstanding. And whilst the ending was certainly divisive and could have been executed a little bit better, you know, I don't, I think Daichi should have given it a little bit more time before he called for the bell. Um, similar to, I know it's been compared to the Tanahashi and Suzuki Intercontinental Championship match from New Beginning 2018, I think. Um, but Mayu is such a relentlessly endearing babyface and sold the final throws of pain so well. Honestly, I can't complain about the finish. The screams she was letting out made it sound like Suri was literally ripping flesh from bone, and it was a little uncomfortable to hear. I, like I said, I just wish died she had left it just a little bit longer to build that tension sufficiently, especially as we were so close to the time limit. If she'd have kept kept holding on until, say, 29.30, where there's only 30 seconds left of the time limit, and then she taps out, it would have just been a more cathartic moment for those Suri fans. Now, I've watched this match twice, and I honestly think it's one of the better matches and stories told over the weekend. Completely different to any of Suri's defences. It sets it apart from the Julian match. The one-count kick-out, something else I know people have an issue with, doesn't bother me. For Mayu, it's sheer adrenaline and a continuation of her resiliency. Whereas Suri's helps to show her growth, but also her determination to not let Mayu build any sort of momentum. She's more than aware of what damage Mayu can do when she builds up a head of steam. And let's not forget that Suri is powered by the desire to fulfill her legacy and prove to herself that she's as strong as her mother. Mayu was the star of that self-doubt. My Suri knows that moment in Yokohama Cinderella, she was so emotionally invested in that match, screaming with every kick, with every move. She was so invested, and she lost. So here, she knows what she has to do. She executes it with that calm nature. 
and I think it worked beautifully into the story of this match. I thought Mayu's selling was tremendous. I gave it four and three-quarter stars. I think if Daichi had let it go just that 30 seconds longer, really have Suri wrench Mayu's leg back, it would have been an easy five stars for me. Ultimately, what a payoff to the two nights, Matt. Yeah, and you're you're talking about the uh, the holding on, you know, maybe a couple seconds longer. As as recording this, it's March 31st. It's the anniversary of the Brett and Sean Ironman match from WrestleMania 12. And if you do remember, Sean goes for a dropkick. Brett puts him in the sharpshooter, and they hold it there for close to a minute. And just wondering, is Sean gonna tap? Is Sean gonna tap? And maybe yeah, if they would have held on to like where it was like, you know, she holds on. They can just stay in that hold for 45, 50 seconds. And they don't have to do anything other than like maybe Sherry wrenching down a little bit. And Mayu, you know, we talked about her having the best facial sellings, you know, this side of Tanahashi. You know, she just sells more, sells more, sells more. And even maybe even have Mayu get close to the ropes because she was getting close to the ropes. And maybe Sherry drags her back and then she cranks on it, cranks on it. And then once they say 10 seconds left, that's Daichi's kind of cue to be like, all right, I need to wrap this up. So then you're thinking, is she going to get the fall here? Are we going to end this on a time limit draw? And kudos on Rossi. There was no time limit draws on this show. So, no, yeah, I see your point. I, I, see, I see your point there, but I just kind of wanted to explain where I was. The re- one of the, that's the, you know, the, I thought that the beginning, the middle, everything on the, everything was solid, but that's the reason why I gave it five stars because it literally took me out of, you know, submersed me out of the match. And it was just, I was literally just sitting there as a fan. And, and I really don't have favorites anymore. Like when it comes to certain wrestlers or I just want the promotion to do better or this wrestler to do better. Like ultimately the end goal is like, I want the red belt to get over more. So it helps the company out more. And like I said, I just noticed myself and obviously I'm a huge fan of both these ladies. Uh, I just noticed myself when she hit the second moonsault, it's like a little bit after midnight in my house and I'm yelling, come on, cover. And I think my one cat kind of woke up and looked at me like, Oh geez, he's nuts. <laughs> That brings it to an end, guys. I mean, there is, obviously, there's a moment where Kyrie comes out with Sire and she raises the two hands, and I didn't particularly like that. I'm not going to lie, so I'm not going to talk about it much. I I didn't think it needed to be done. I think it I think it was Suri's moment to close, but there we are. That's that's personal yep. preference. Um, two, two, two quick things, sir, uh, before we go. Uh, I know we talked about how we usually do terrible with our predictions. Did you uh, Did you count them up, sir? I did not. Did you? Yes, there was seventeen matches. There was there was seventeen. There was seventeen matches, including um, uh, including the Rumble. You did twelve out of seventeen, so very good. <laughs> you say that because I know you won. I know <laughs> you won. I did thirteen out of seventeen. Oh wow, it was that close. Yeah, and uh, and my wife did the same. So. <laughs> Considering the person, the person that's watched maybe a dozen starter matches versus the guy that wrote a book, and yeah. you should buy the book, is that she, she beat you. Yeah, <laughs> tremendous. Love that. Um, but it was, it was that close. And who is your one MVP? You can give the MVP out to one person. Who's your one MVP coming out of this? Sai Kamatani. 100%. Yeah, that's right. I figured. I see your point. I would say Sherry, just because... I don't want to say that we've been doubting her, Tyler Rain, but I think me and you both had her had Utami winning... Uh, at Dream Queendom, and then uh, we we kind of just thought, oh, she's gonna have a short reign. They're gonna put on Momo, but for her to have two back-to-back banger matches uh, like this, I think that we're in for a long uh, red belt reign with with Siri. I think she's more than proved herself. Um, before we go anywhere, I just want to say that we've got a lot coming up in the future. Obviously, we've got the Cinderella tournament happening from the third 
all the way through till the 29th. Uh, we've got in May the Fukuoka Goddess Festival 2022, which is happening on the 5th. The Flashing Champions Show, which is happening at O Towards City Gym, that's happening on the 28th of April. Uh, sorry, on the 28th of May. And then we've got uh, the fight in the top in June at the Nagoya International Conference Center. And then, of course, we've got the Five Star which is going to be happening um, starting at O Towards City Gym on the 30th and 31st of July. Um, just a quick note, that May 5th Goddess of Fest... Um, sorry, Goddess of Festival. Goddess Festival 2022. The official ambassador will be none other than the legendary Jushin Thunder Liger, Matt. Yeah, I heard about that. Maybe that's where he's revealed that he's the trainer. For, Maybe. Uh, for Momo. Somebody mm. check his thumbs. Um, uh, and then... <laughs> Just before we go anywhere, just a little rundown of how everything's going to break down. Because we're a day late recording this, and that is 100% my fault, I apologize. This is going to be released to our Patreon members and our free feed tonight. Patrons, you will be getting our bracketology of the um, Cinderella tonight as well. Um, If you are on our free feed, you will be getting that tomorrow at 11 p.m. British Standard Time. Again, my apologies that we are so late. And also my apologies, I know there have been some questions that people want to ask. However, we've gone over two hours now. I mean, we're two hours and 13 minutes into recording. I promise we will get to all of those questions next episode. So please don't think your questions haven't been acknowledged. I've seen them. We are going to be answering them, I promise. Um, but for now, if you haven't already, please go subscribe to our Patreon, www.patreon.com forward slash to stardomcast, where you can go and check out our latest um, bonus episode where we talk about the white belt retrospective of the one, the only Momo Watanabe. Check out our podcast wherever you get your podcasts. If you would like to, if you think we deserved it, leave us a Meltzer five-star review. We'd love to be able to fire up those podcast rankings. Leave us a comment as well. We love reading them. We really do appreciate it. Um, You can find us anywhere on your podcast app, Google, Spotify, Apple, Podbean, anywhere. We are there. Um, You can talk to us on Twitter at at the stardom cast same with facebook instagram and our youtube channel as well um you can talk to me on twitter at at real rob goodwin matt where can they find you you can find me at the movie theater in a handful of hours going to see morbius i might be the only one there but anywho uh if you're looking <laughs> for me on social media uh instagram twitter is matt turner of I uh, just want to thank our newest patron, Plug Pedro. Thank you so much for joining, my man. We really, really do appreciate it. And finally, the last plug before we leave your ears in peace. Um, if there is, what, two more days, I believe, to enter our Stardomcast Cinderella Tournament 2022 competition, where if you predict the winner and the finalists correctly, you can win a free Stardomcast t-shirt and a copy of the Living the Dream Stardom book. Um, That will close, as I've already said, on the 2nd of April, and it's open to all patron members on every um, tier. Um, thank you so much for listening, guys. We really do appreciate it. We'd love to hear your thoughts on um, World Climax, whether that's on Twitter, whether that's on Facebook, or whether that is on our Discord as well. We'd love to hear your thoughts. Thank you so much for listening, guys, and we'll talk to you guys again soon.
Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would and credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. 